Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The bases dropped on a new edition of soccer down here. Sorry about technical difficulties this morning. A little bit of a late start. Um, Going to go two hours with an overreaction Monday edition. We will have soccer over there tonight starting at about 7.05. I will say about just to give a little bit of cushion just in case. Uh, we got a lot to talk about today, mostly Atlanta United and their win in D.C. Uh, we can get into the World Cup draw as well. John gave you the reaction show on Friday after the draw. Talk about uh, my experience with the draw um, in a little bit. It was pretty funny. Um, and you can react to MLS this weekend as well. Anything else on your mind? Uh, we'll get into a lot of the overseas stuff tonight on soccer over there. But if you want to yell about uh, Newcastle getting blown out. We can. Sorry, Alex. Uh, if you want to yell about uh, Juventus, um, you can. They've been yelling. They've been complaining. They said they played 11 v 12. Um, wah. Um, all kinds of things. You can uh, you can react to it. You can put it in the comments on the Twitch pitch, and we will try to get to those at different points in the show. Um, we'll kind of give you a little bit of a heads up when we'll jump over there and, and hop into it. Uh, but we're not going to be going throughout the show just twitch bitch back and forth back and forth back and forth we got reactions too and we're gonna give them to you um thanks to everybody who listened to both mike and i in different places on saturday night i was on star 94 so a different different place uh jeff lorenowitz was with me for the second time on radio it's always fun talking soccer with jeff uh we talked a lot of soccer before the game once we arrived at audi field and, and got everything set up and saw what we were working with with the booth and yeah, you saw my picture of it, and you, you heard us on the call. It was, uh, it, it was there. It was something. Um, but we talked a lot of soccer. Uh, ran into Luciano Emilio, DC United legend. Dave Johnson got to meet him for the first time. We got to talk about uh, Dave Johnson calling Atlanta Ruckus games at Adams Stadium and the concrete cinder uh, box. I think is what he called it, which is accurate. Um, those games in the middle of the summer in what you would call a press box at Adam stadium to do TV. And they did TV on the field uh, for the intro for the pregame, which was like one segment and then has to hike up those steps. And if you've been at Adams, it is a hike. 
I lost skin at Adams uh, multiple times running up those stairs at different points of my time working for the ruckus. So yeah, uh, really cool to trade old school stories with Dave and, and talk about where DC it was coming into the game, where Atlanta was coming into the game. I said it early on that I, I think this was a game where we'd get to know both of the teams and see what they're working with and learn a little bit. I don't know if we actually did. It was a very, very even game. And Atlanta gets the goal in stoppage time. Marcelino Moreno, uh, I'm sure you've heard the calls by now. Uh, it was on the other end from us. So just and, and full disclosure, Mike was calling it from the monitor back in Atlanta. Um, I was there. It was probably 100 yards away from where we were. And we were very low. So we were screened on the initial action. I couldn't see who scored it. Um, I did the old trick of, of yelling a lot of things and yelling very loudly and looking and looking and looking to see who's celebrating it. And I finally saw Marcelino come away uh, with a shirt over his head. And that gave me the clue that he was the one who scored it. Uh, we couldn't see the deflections on it until uh, Jeff spotted it on, on the replays once we were able to pull that up on laptops because we couldn't see it on the monitor either. So it was an adventure calling that it was an adventure uh, just all the way around, but it was a three point adventure for Atlanta United. Um, John consuming it from home. It was, it's a game that was really hard to explain. It was a game that was really hard to call at times, not because of the booth, just because of the way the game flowed. It was a really weird game all the way around and it just felt dead even until that last moment yeah and when you look at and i'll take this 45 minutes at a time okay first half i i legitimately was wondering if dc was going to hit the 30 foul plateau by the they time. were working on it it was at 14 in the first 45 if memory serves i'm gonna double check it but that sounds right it wasn't quite Charleston against the twos. That was 16, <laughs> yeah. but it was really close. Jeff was getting really irritated with the lack of yellow cards for the fouls on, on Joseph, on Almada, on Moreno at midfield breaking up attacks. Uh, Jeff was getting really frustrated with it. And that was the the big issue for me in the first 45 is that you were getting – you, you got two yellows in the first 45 for DC, thanks to our friends at SofaScore. And you end up with 14 fouls, I think, in the first. It was 13. 13, okay. So you were, you, were, you, were still, you were still double digits, and you're still you know, pushing the, the idea of 30 fouls being called. You end up with two yellows in the first half. And how many fouls were, were called on Atlanta United in the first 45? Uh, it was go back to, it, I think seven, um, 20 and 12 for the game. Right. So second half, uh, whistle kind of left us, uh, 13 and seven in the first half. And you end up with George Campbell getting a yellow in the 33rd. And like Jeff, I was wondering where the yellows were for, the uh, the attacks on the Atlanta attack and that was just that was the biggest takeaway for me is that you kind of knew that DC was going to sit there and they were going to you know try to press you 
But, you know, over time, it seemed like they kind of ran out of gas. And so they would resort to fouling and all these other kinds of things to try to slow things down and basically muck the game up as best they could. Because if they couldn't keep their own pace, then they're going to have to try and find other ways that the game doesn't get out of control in their own way. And so I, I'm, I was with Jeff. I was wondering where the yellows were from D.C. for going after the Atlanta United players in the first 45. And then you go from that first extreme of all of the fouls being called. You end up with the three yellows, but you don't get that in the second half. And so that kind of dichotomy got to me, too. It was it was weird, and I, I like Armando Villarreal uh, as a referee, and and Jeff had good recollections with him too, um, good experiences with Armando. Armando's not somebody who calls a lot of fouls, and he for his career, and that was his, if I remember my notes, hundred and seventy first game in MLS. For that many games, he averages just over twenty two fouls per game. He called twenty in the first half. So I'm sure like just like just like coaches, just like players, referees have style. They have a style. They have the kind of game that they like to manage. You call 20 in the first half. You're kind of like, whoa, this feels weird. <laughs> this doesn't feel right. And the second half, look, he, he, he let a lot go. He let a lot of physicality go. He called 12 in the second half. So 32 in all, just about 10 over his career average. Um, I get it. I understand it, how it, it shifts away. I would have definitely liked to have seen more yellows in the first half to break up that behavior. And, and I think what frustrates me the most is this happens a lot to Atlanta United, and I, I don't really get it. It doesn't follow much logic. And all the fouls were, were one way early on. They were very tactical. The foul count is still stacked to D.C., the yellow cards were not. They didn't get another yellow after the first half. Atlanta ended up with more yellow cards than DC did. And that doesn't feel right the way the game went. Campbell got one in the 33rd. Conway got one in the 81st. Almada got one in the 89th. The ones that Almada and Conway got felt like they weren't getting yellows the other way. And look, it adds up. You know, I mean, I, I don't know if Conway's going to hit a, a yellow card accumulation issue in, in MLS. I, I hope he plays enough for that to happen. Um, I'm not expecting it. Almada, yeah, it, it adds up. Uh, Campbell, it adds up. And, and when you're not having it add up for other teams who commit more fouls and more tactical fouls, that's frustrating. Um, it was a tough game to call. I'll, I'll give Villarreal that credit because the way DC plays, they're, they're a really frustrating team right now in my book. Um, I thought they'd be further along. Honestly, I, I thought they would have progressed a bit. I, I'm not seeing much of an identity right now. And except what, what I'm seeing, if I want to define an identity for DC, what I'll go with is they are combative, not as, as good in being combative as a Red Bulls or a Philly or even a San Jose. Um, but they're combative. They'll, they'll, they'll foul you. They'll be physical. Um, they will generally play pretty direct. Um, Last year, I didn't get the sense that they would be that team. Hernan Lasada coming in, I didn't get the sense they would be a non-possession kind of team. I thought they'd be a strong counter-pressing team, but they'd want the ball. This year, they're like 50-50, and that's a bad place to be in my book. If you are a 50% possession team, 
you don't really have a way to play or you're not doing what you're trying to do effectively. I'm going to go with the former in DC's case because they're not trying to get the ball back to keep it and create something. They're not as good in the press as your Red Bulls teams, or your Philly teams that don't want the ball and play off the press more than having the ball. They're in this in-between state. So one, it creates a, a really weird kind of game if you don't get an early goal and then they have to come out and play a little bit more. And that's what this one was. It, it was a game where I thought Atlanta was the better team slightly, not by a ton. I mean, the XG backs that up. It was, and you add the that the goal at the end is the biggest one, but it was 1.02 to 0.48. Um, the first half was about what I would have expected with that 0.53 to 0.27. Uh, DC didn't create more in the second. Atlanta was about the same in both. Atlanta wasn't great, but they were the better team. They had more of the initiative. They were trying to play. I thought when they, they got the ball going through Almada in the first half, especially, they looked good. Uh, we know Marcelino is going to wreak havoc on opposing midfields. He's going to run at them. He's going to break teams down off the dribble. They're going to start fouling him. I think he drew six fouls in the game. Um, they're going to get in yellow card trouble. That was the the two with Canals and Jafal. I thought that he would kind of go with them a little bit more and get them on another yellow. They backed off a bit after they got their yellows. Credit to them. But yeah, it just it felt like a game where there wasn't going to be a breakthrough. I was pretty much resigned to it being 0-0. Zero, zero. I, I think Atlanta was too. I mean, think back right before that, and, and Jeff referenced it on the full-time report. You know, Brad had a, a moment where he goes up to catch one and then he goes down like a goalkeeper will when they're trying to run clock. At that point, you know, it felt like a point on the road. It's a clean sheet. You take it, whatever. That's fine. Um, then they got the opportunity. And, and and look, it starts with a beautiful ball from Santi Sosa. Just what we've been missing with, with Sosa being out because he's just a different player than Ozzy Alonso. What he brings to the table is, I think, more of that kind of a pass. Ozzy's a great passer. Ozzy's been 91% or better in the last four years in MLS. But he doesn't hit as many of those longer passes. Santi, I think, excels in that. And he puts just a perfect ball to Lennon to give him an opportunity. Late in the game, you can make that play. You put it over the top and you say, go get it, Brooks. He goes and gets a corner out of it. And you make something happen. Um, you steal three points I, I, to say that you should have lost. No, I would thoroughly disagree, but you, maybe you stole two points because it was looking like a one, a, a one pointer. It was looking like a scoreless draw. You get the goal at the end, you get on the bus and you get out of town. For me, and I, there are two other points that I have. One has to do with Atlanta United. And so since that's where we are, uh, I'll go with this. Once again, you get to see the continued growth of George Campbell. And the difficult decision that Gonzalo Pineda has with as many folks on the back line as he has. And it's it's good to have a difficult decision when you're dealing with your center backs. It's like, okay, who do I start? I would rather have that question than sit there and go, who do I start? Where the emphasis is different. You know, the, the positive element in having George Campbell's game continue. The, the way that it is. It's not a surprise to us because we've, we've seen his development ever since he first stepped on the, the pitch for Atlanta United too. But I want to give George Campbell also a lot of credit for playing with that yellow card that he picked up in the 33rd. Yep. That to me 
is just something else that we can put here in the dossier of the growth of George Campbell, where you get the early get the early yellow. In a perfect world, you know that the opposition is going to try to key on that particular player, chase after that second yellow, try to end up with the other team playing with 10. George Campbell played after that yellow with the, in the 33rd minute, the rest of the, 57 minutes plus with a yellow card. So tremendous amount of credit for George with the maturity that we're continuing to see with him with Atlanta United at the back. Yeah, uh, we talked to Gonzalo Pineda on Friday night, and he talked about how he almost feels bad telling George he's not going to be in the lineup when when he's not in the lineup. Um, there is that little bit of a hierarchy with Miles and with Allen, who are probably your starters, but, man, George is making it difficult. George is making it difficult to settle on that. Uh, because he, he's just been really good. I know he was a little bit of a uh, controversial selection for our man of the match on radio. Uh, I asked Jeff in the break. I, I said, "Who do you want to? Who do you want man of the match to be?" No hesitation, George. And and that's kind of where my head was because I felt like the way we were calling it, what we were talking about a lot in Atlanta defensively was George Campbell being ahead of the play, reading the play, either jumping into a passing lane or making the right decision. There was a 2v1 against him at one point, and he played it perfectly to hold up the play long enough for Andrew Gutman to recover and make a tackle. So it's one of those where George doesn't get a stat on it. He doesn't get a tackle. He doesn't get an interception, but he made the right play. Um I thought George was great. I thought George was great defensively. Let me be let me be clear in that aspect. I thought passing, well, look, he had one that turned into a corner. I think there's there's a little bit of a reaction. I was actually uh I'll go ahead and, and say it, Shiva. I'm not trying to throw you under the bus or, or or call you out. We were talking about it in messages. I think at times there's a, a larger reaction to a bad play with the ball in that situation than the good plays defensively that might not show up like the one we talked about um, other plays where he, he jumps into a passing lane, he breaks up a play. He, you know, picks up a second ball because he read it and was ahead of the, the attacker. I thought stuff like that defensively, George was lights out was just absolutely borderline perfect defensively in this game. Um, full credit to him. And it will be hard to keep him out of the lineup. He's got to get better with the ball. No question. No question. He And he's good with the ball. You know, his numbers this season back it up. He's good with the ball. He can be even better. And he's got to be even better in competition for playing time with two really good center backs in Alan Franco and Miles Robinson. But that's what you want. That's what you want from your 20-year-old homegrown who's saying, yeah, I'm not comfortable just sitting here on the bench. I want to play and I'm going to push these guys. He's got to improve some aspects of his game. But man, for a 20-year-old to play with the composure that he plays with and to get on an early yellow, and this is something, as we'll bring Jarrett Smith into the mix right now, this is something that Jarrett and I have talked about, and I know we talked about it during his time with the twos, where George has a little bit of a mean streak at times. He can. He can get really nasty with some tackles. And earlier in his career, and it's crazy to say, like, his career, he's 20. But, you know, three, two, three years ago, three years ago, geez, um, when he would have got an early yellow, he might have gotten another yellow. 
You know, the eyes might have gone red at some point. And he might have picked up another yellow and you're playing shorthanded. I think that happened with the twos at least once. But Jarrett, like Campbell gets the early yellow in the first half. It doesn't affect his aggressiveness. And he was outstanding defensively. Yeah, he was. He did. He did. Uh, he did the work that he needed to do defensively and kept you uh, in in good shape against a team that wanted to turn you over and go quickly. And thought he and I thought uh, Jeff mentioned it. You mentioned it on the radio call of he knew when to step into lanes to cut things out, and he knew when to take a step back. To uh, there's one of the second half where he had. I think it was one v one, and he just kind of drops off of it and doesn't step into the step into the challenge directly, and ends up creating a situation where you know puts the onus on the attacker who just kind of hesitates for a second, lets everything get reset, and it was just smart. He, he was decisive in his decision making. It's great that his decision making was the right one ninety percent of the time. What makes it even better is that he was decisive about it. Like yep. he made the right decision, and he didn't second guess himself. Um, yeah, you know, I made this joke. I made this joke the, uh, right after the game ended, the Hawks win, um, because Patty Mills is defending Trey Young, and Trey crosses him over, and Patty Mills takes one step back, not wanting to get beat on the blow-by, and loses his balance and isn't sure what he wants to do. Yeah. Trey shoots a three. George Campbell didn't have those moments where he wasn't sure what he knew. I'm going to step here. I'm going to drop here. And he made a decision and stuck to it and executed it. And being that quick mentally is a great sign of his growth and a great sign of any of these kids growth. Because as we talked about the speed of MLS versus USL versus college, it's intense. And that's not to say that MLS is the best league in the world, not saying that, but I'm saying the speed of the game and the speed of which you have to think and act and make that decision and stick to it quickly. It's insane. And he did well. Yeah. I think that's a good sign for him because in the past he would make a a wrong decision, but he had the speed to recover and fix it. We've seen Miles be in that earlier in his career too. I think George at his age to already be showing that growth in decision-making defensively. Whew. It's a, it's a really good spot to be in. Um, I do want to run through a couple of the stats before we get into the, the Twitch pitch and, and get some other thoughts from, from John and Jarrett. Um, some of the individual numbers here. Chances created. Uh, Lennon created three. Tiago Almada created three. I thought Tiago was very good as he's still finding his way into the chemistry with this group. I thought he was really good. I would have loved to have seen them try to play through him a bit more in the second half. I think he's somebody that you do need to feed a bit to get him going. Uh, late in the first half, man, I thought he was starting to take over the game. Um, give him time. I thought you saw a lot of good glimpses from Tiago. I was really happy with his play. Uh, other chances created on the night. Jackson Conway created one. Jake Mulraney created one. Marcelino Moreno created one. That's always a stat that I'm, I'm looking at. One of the first things that I'll look at is, is chances created. Uh, defensive actions. Um, Ozzy Alonso won four tackles, uh, one interception. That's five. That's big. Gutman had two and two. That's four. That's a good number. Tiago Almada had four. That's really good to see. Playing on the left, dropping in to defend, dropping really deep to defend. I thought you got a sense of of what Almada will bring in a two-way situation, which for his skill in the attack, to be able to do both, and I'm already seeing... uh, a certain national pundit who had an agenda against the former Atlanta United number eight uh, already compared Tiago Almada to that 
former Atlanta number eight, Ezekiel Barco, and try to create a narrative, which honestly is uh, one of the more ridiculous things I've ever seen. But we'll leave it there. Uh, Franco Ibarra with a couple of tackles. That's what you expect for him coming in. I thought he was rusty on the ball, especially, but he was winning the ball back pretty well. Sosa won a couple of tackles as well. Franco had uh, two defensive actions. George Campbell had four, three interceptions, one tackle. I thought he was better than the number would show you. Um, Other things that jumped out, Moreno on the dribble, five of seven. You're dealing with a good defensive team, a a good pressing team in D.C. to to break it. A lot of times you're going to do it on the dribble. Marcelino was immense in that, absolutely immense in that. Uh, passing numbers, Lennon was at 91%. Almada was at 88. Franco was at 87. George at 74 is one we, we talked about. You want that to be higher. You want that to be better. Uh, Ozzy was 87. Santi was 83. Those are all uh, good numbers. Jake was 85. I thought Jake was pretty quiet in, in this one in general. Just didn't really get into the game a whole lot. Uh, Marcelino won 11 of his 18 duels on the ground. Um, a lot of those were on the dribble, but still, that's really good. Alonzo won eight of his 11. That's really good. Um, in the air, and this was something that I was a little worried about coming in because DC is a very good team in the air and very good on set pieces in the air and the attack. Alan Franco, four of four. Aerial duels, he won them all. Um, that was huge. Those times where it wasn't George breaking up a play when DC did have it on the ground, Alan was winning the aerial duels. Really good stuff. Uh, Marcelino drew six fouls, which is a pretty ridiculous number. Um, Jarrett, what else jumped out to you about this game? I mean, off the top, basically, I, I said what I what I said in the full-time report. It felt like a, a scoreless draw. It felt like a game where you take the point and you'll be okay with it. I think the team was almost thinking that way late. Uh, you have a, a great ball from Santi Sosa to earn the corner that Brooks Lennon earned. And then you, you went on a corner kick and, and get it done late again in DC and you take it and you get on that bus and you get out of town. Yeah. If you operate under the assumption, as I often do, of you win your home games, you draw your away games in MLS and you're going to be in fantastic shape. Yeah. If you want to do that, if you want to play that game, well, you just made up for the Montreal draw by winning that game on the road in in dc and you went and stole it and that's fine (laughs) nothing wrong with two points yeah you didn't steal uh you didn't steal a result you stole a win from a draw yeah yeah but you stole two points in that game and that's fine because you've had two points stolen from you it will happen again you'll have two points stolen from you and you'll do it to others um the mental toughness i'm impressed with because you've done it so much this year of sticking in late uh and, and being tough late after the you know up and around and after the 90th minute of getting the job done and keeping keeping switched on for those big moments of waiting for that moment to strike where you can where you can be effective um overall i mean it was i got like i told y'all um as we were green room green rooming it this weekend uh, one of my one of my beefs, and we saw this around the league, is a very petty week around the league uh, with comments from managers and fans. Um, it, it was a very petty week, but it's this issue I have where you get a team that wants to press a lot. That's cool. That's fine. But then we, as a collective, not we as in the individuals on the show right now, we as a collective, I feel like we put an unfair onus on the team that wants to play with the ball or build up from the back of, they're not doing this. They're not doing that. Well, they're playing a team that's going to press. And when you break the press, they're going to foul. Mm -hmm. Like 
it's 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 this it's this weird thing of wow they didn't do what they wanted to do okay well then credit the other team for pressing and for breaking things up and not letting the game flow and doing their job instead of just criticizing one side of it compliment the other side of it and yeah. yeah it can be situations where atlanta was sloppy with the ball at times the twos had that as well in hartford there were times where they were sloppy with the ball it's but it's this thing where we we just we run into this well they so and so didn't do what they wanted to do so uh you know so clearly that was their fault as opposed to so-and-so wasn't able to build up play, wasn't able to break the lines consistently, kept getting fouled when they did so. Okay, well, that's not necessarily their fault because of who they're playing, who is executing their game plan, that they are drilled to the same extent, if not more, to be aggressive, to press, to break up play in the same way that teams like Atlanta are drilled to build up possession and work from the back. There are multiple ways to look at it, and I, I hate the fact that we just, like, we just poo-poo one side of it instead of saying, hey, they weren't doing that. Well, maybe it's because the other side did their job. Yeah, I was pulling out my my notes from the game because I wanted to look at a couple of things. Um, I thought Atlanta dealt with the press pretty well. And you have to look at the season numbers to get a sense of that. I, I think Atlanta will be a better attacking team as they go. We've, we've had this conversation all year long. You know, you, you've got to get a, a training session with your front four. You have to get Joseph Araujo, Almada, and Moreno in one training session together. They haven't had one where they've all four been available. Let's see what this attack can turn into to create more. I think they need to create more in general. But they had nine chances created here. That's right about their season average. They were able against the press to pass at 81%. I thought they wore DC down and were able to make DC have to sit a lot more. That's good. But DC's still disruptive. They're still a good defensive team. Yeah, I got team. questions about them. But yeah, we, that was the other thing I started with, Jared, is I have real questions about where they are in their you know project with Aaron Lasada and where they're going. Cause I got questions about a pressing vanilla. team that can't press for 35 minutes and then they got to let off the gas. You, got, you wore them down because, yeah. look, here's, here's the, the thing that jumped out to me coming into the game. The the number one stat that I had starred in my notes was DC, what they allowed teams to pass against them. It's passing percentage. Look, it doesn't tell you everything about a game because these passes can be passes that don't really lead to much. That yes, that's true. But when you look at the body of work in a game and you're talking about, you know, 300, 400, 500 passes, you get a sense of how good a team is with how many passes they're connecting. If they're trying to play, if they're, you know, the Red Bulls, then they're not trying to complete passes and forget about the number. But DC allow opponents coming into this game to complete passes at 72%. That is the second best percentage for lowest passing percentage completed by an opponent. 72%. Atlanta came into the game passing at 82.2%. In this game, they passed at 81%. So DC's press early affected them. As it went on, it didn't affect them as much. And D.C. changed their shape and moved pieces around. Um, they brought in Chris Adouia Chim. They played Drew Skundrich as a right wing back. Adouia Chim was a, a right back playing right center back, even more pronounced of a right back playing that role than Andy Nahar was. They tried to change their personnel around Atlanta with a tactical shift with going to three center backs to, to create a little more freedom for the attackers to go, go, go. That worked in my mind from Gonzalo Pineda. 
Um, you had to bring in Conway for Joseph earlier than I think you would have liked. There had been a question about coming back from international duty. Would Joseph play? I thought he would. I thought he would start. I thought he might have more in the tank because um, he didn't play on Tuesday. But he had a couple of opportunities to get on the end of things in the first half. Not enough. And wasn't able to exploit it. I thought Conway came on and did pretty well. I thought he played with confidence. I thought he he held up the ball well. He fought with Burnbaum, who's one of the, the best center backs in this league, especially in the air. He fought with Heinz Ike. He, he made it difficult. He had a great chance that I, I can't tell because of where we were. We were on the other end of the field. I couldn't tell if the cross, I think, from Lennon to Conway. Actually, it might not have been from Lennon. It might have been Almada. Um, I couldn't tell if it got deflected. Because Conway wasn't able to redirect it and put it on goal. He had a header, but he worked hard. He showed, I think, some of the progress that we saw in the last game, not just because he had three goals, but his overall play against Charleston. So, you know, there was a lot of things you take out of it. But, Jared, I'm with you on D.C. I got questions because for a team that you know, the stories coming into last season were about how intense the, the training sessions were under Aaron Lasada and Julian Gressel said he lost like 10 pounds or something and um, doing like SWAT level training stuff in preseason. They looked gassed coming off the international break in about the 35th minute. That was weird. Yeah. And then they got it back after halftime and I thought, okay, well, for a while. Yeah. Yeah, and it, that's the thing. It was for a while. They got it back during after halftime. It's like, okay. And, and it crossed my mind at like the 65th, 70th minute. I'm like, okay, can they do it for 45 this time? And I know you're not going to press like I'm Matt. You're not going to like be running around like a chick with your head cut off for 90 minutes. I know that's not how it works, but can you apply that pressure for 45 minutes? Nope. I mean, and I get it. Atlanta changes things up a bit. You know, Losada has to make changes as well. Um, but, yeah, it just didn't feel like they had that in them. And coming off the break, it was just weird. I don't – that's where I expect them to be at their most psychotic when you've had the extended break. <laughs> yes, that's what I would have expected. Uh, maybe not psychotic, but that's definitely what I would have expected. And they didn't seem to have it. It's weird. Um, John, let's jump into the Twitch pitch. What we got? With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Uh, starting off with uh, Michael Head in, in our discussion about cards and such, Michael mm-hmm. says that we hardly ever get early yellows called, brings the game down to a scrum, in his words. Would be nice to have Pro call a closer match. I know it's wishful thinking. I'm, I'm okay without throwing yellows super early. 
I just want the line to be consistent. And you can go talk to Greg Vanny and Giovanni Savarese about the line being consistent uh, yesterday in Portland because wolf, <laughs> you want to see what happens when it's inconsistent. Go watch that game. I mean, both teams can be angry about the referee. Portland can be more angry, but Nima Sagafi had a bad day. I generally I'm fine with Nima Sagafi. He had a bad day at the office, a really bad day at the office. I thought he made a mistake on the Portland Red, and then he compounded it with more just weird decisions all the way around. Um, Pro had to rebuke referees for what should have been a penalty, was called a penalty on the field, and then VAR got involved, and the referee looked at it, and the referee said it wasn't a penalty. It was a penalty. It should have been a penalty for NYC against Toronto in the eighth minute. It wasn't a good weekend for pro. The The Atlanta game, not as big of an issue, but yes. And, and the, the issue I have with it, to go back to Michael's point, I don't need a yellow in the, the 10th minute uh, unless somebody really earns it. I'm absolutely fine with the kind of mentality, maybe a little old school, of a referee early on trying to set boundaries, trying to set levels, trying to, to get a feel for the game. You know who these teams are coming in. You know what to expect. They, they do their homework too. But I'm okay with trying to let them play. But once you saw early, foul, 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 in the same area of the field, in the same kind of moment in, in Atlanta's buildup, and you know coming in, this team wants to play, this team wants to connect passes, they want to build up the play, this team is very aggressive, they want to break up the play, you have to to deal with it earlier. And and where it was not happening was the warning portion. Because I, I am in a, in a yellow card situation for a key, like persistent infringement. I'm very much on the idea of warn the player, warn all the players, however you want to deal with it, depending on the situation of that's one, that's one. If you want to make it three, that's, that's another one. Next one, no more. Make, make your hand signals, make it clear to everybody. That wasn't happening. And I thought, if I remember right, it even happened on an Atlanta foul. And it's like, wait a minute. <laughs> DC's committed twice as many fouls, and they're doing it in the same way. Well, the same thing that got Georgia yellow was committed the other way, like 20 minutes yeah. later, and nothing. I, there was nothing, not even discussion about it. I think it. Jeff said that in the second half when when that happened, because it was the same foul, and it, it, it was not given a yellow. Um, you know, I don't think anybody should have been sent off in this game. From what we saw, uh, if you had another yellow, I thought Canals and Jafal, for example, that's maybe one reason DC did drop off a little bit because two of your central midfielders got yellows uh, four minutes apart, and that press had to back off a little bit in the midfield. So everybody kind of backed off. Okay, well, you put yourself in that problem. Deal with it. And they did. They changed a little bit of the way they played. I think they got tired too. But if you had given it a little earlier or been more demonstrative, the game might have flowed more. And I know some teams come in and they don't want a game to flow. It is an absolute effective tactic for some teams. I'm not trying to take that away from teams. You know how I feel about the game. You know what I want to see. I want to see passing. I want to see a team play. I want to see attacking play. I don't want to see destructive play. I don't like those kinds of teams personally. Not saying you can't do it and refs shouldn't allow it but refs have to be clear in where the line is. This one, the line was, I thought, further away from where it needed to be. Okay, 
that that's that's Armando Villarreal's prerogative. I don't think the line was all that inconsistent. The, the one with Campbell, sure, there could have been a yellow for the the DC player. I, th- I want to say it was Heinz Ike who committed the foul that was similar to Campbell. I might be wrong. I would have liked the line to be in a different place, but the line was at least fairly obvious and in a straight line. The the Portland game, the line was waving back and forth like the squiggly TV you would get when you didn't subscribe to that cable channel back in 1989. Okay? Like, that's not good. Yeah. So that can't happen. Because then you get a game like that Portland-LA game where nobody knows what to do, and they're just clocking each other. Because why not? It might be a yellow. It might not. Flip a coin, and we'll see what happens. There's got to be consistency. And I thought at least Villarreal was close to consistent but i would generally like to see persistent infringement used more in mls with referees and it be called when it's obviously persistent infringement when it's obviously tactical not a late challenge and then a tactical foul and then you know a a handball you know like that's not persistent infringement to me it's got to be tactical fouls by a team to break up the play reportedly that has been a point of emphasis for pro reportedly. We don't seem to see it in Atlanta matches too often. And that was kind of the follow-up question from uncle. No pockets. Why is there no accountability with pro? Well, there is, it's just not public like it is in some other leagues. Um, We do see referees not get games the next week after mistakes. I, I think, there's only been one time that I can think of that there was an announcement that these referees are not going to work next week. I think it was the USL, the the incident with the misapplication oh. of the rules last year yeah. with Pittsburgh. I, I think that one, it was in the announcement, like, yeah, these referees are suspended or, or not being booked. I can't remember what the terminology they used. Uh, in Italy, they'll tell you. Bob Lilly probably, like... Probably probably showed up at the front door of USL's office the next morning. No, he needed to in that one. That was pretty yeah. bad. Um, in Italy, they'll tell you when a referee is suspended because they had a bad day. Referees will have bad days, and that's fine. What happens if you're a player and you have a bad day? You probably get benched, right? Mm-hmm. If you're a referee and you have a bad day, you might need to get benched. If you have multiple bad days, you might need to work at a lower level for a little bit. That's not to try to take money out of people's pockets and be mean. It's It's judging their performance and i i wish pro in these situations so you have the situation in toronto which is far different than than via real via real shouldn't be suspended for a game we can like not like how he called or how he did persistent infringement or this or that he didn't do anything to screw up the game there, there was nothing about that it's how he managed it that's a different level what happened in toronto for example when you have to come out and say yeah an eighth minute penalty was taken away incorrectly by pro, by the referee, by the VAR, because the referee agreed with it after looking at it. When you have to come out and make that announcement, part of the announcement should be that VAR and that referee are not working next week. For what it's worth, that's 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 worse than missing the call because yeah. to me, it's it's worse when you get the call right and then you change it incorrectly. You had it right in the first place and then you decided to get it wrong. That's worse than, hey, we missed it and we shouldn't have no, you had it, and then you screwed it up. Mm-hmm. That's this is on both. Egregious. It's not just the VAR and oh yeah, absolutely. I'm not trying things. to. I'm, no, nobody's getting away from that one. Yeah, yeah, like the situations and and look, the, the VAR in the Atlanta DC game was Eunice Marakchi. Uh, he was the one who, on decision day last year, had the uh, incorrect usage of his abilities on the RSL Sporting Kansas City game, 
And he was the one who did not recommend that the referee take a look at the Jake Mulraney red card in Nashville. That was overturned. Um, that doesn't mean he shouldn't ever referee again. It means that, hey, he shouldn't have been VAR for a while. And he wasn't for a while, at least after the Mulraney one, because I, I was actually looking at it, the bookings and I didn't see him book for a minute. Okay. You can announce that. And that's okay. And that would help fans, I think, feel like there is accountability because there is, it's just not as public as it needs to be. When you have a referee and a VAR have to get publicly rebuked or at least pro has to admit an error, they have to, in that announcement, say the video assistant referee and the center referee who made this mistake that an eight-minute goal for NYC in that, you know, they lost 2-1. I don't know. Maybe it has a maybe it has an effect on that, having that penalty. It could have been missed. We know. But that's a big moment that you screw up early. It's okay to say they're not working next week. And then you can come back. But they got to get benched for that. And that wasn't part of that announcement. That's frustrating. We do have to separate, though. And and I I really I, I understand how hard it is to be a referee. And I, I try to be very fair in explaining how hard their job is and all of the different things that go into it. And, and I, I, I really want to progress the conversation about how games should be refereed past. Oh, this referee is bad because I see the general reaction to any referee who's announced in major league soccer. Oh, it's this guy again. Oh, it's a, no, not all referees are bad. Generally this year, I've been really happy with the referees in Atlanta games. Um, even referees that, at times, I haven't liked their style. No, they've been good. The Atlanta Atlanta games have been good. I have no problems with with the refereeing in it. Um, we've got to progress past like I don't like this call, so this referee's bad. We've got to get it to this is an egregious mistake, and the referee should be benched for it. This referee, hey, maybe he didn't manage the game all that well. The Nima Sagafi one, I think he should probably be benched for his performance yesterday. It was bad. He lost control of the game. And that's a that's a huge issue because then you can start to have injuries and people getting hurt because the game has no control whatsoever. Villarreal is nowhere near any of that. We can quibble on persistent infringement where yellow should have been and this and that, but no, he should not be benched for his performance in DC. Sagafi, yes, and the the referees in Toronto, yes, the VAR and the referee, yes, and that needs to be public. And I think then that would help fans feel maybe differently about every referee is terrible. No, when referees make a giant mistake that affects an outcome, potentially, they should be punished in that regard and they should be benched. If they just have a bad day managing a game or this or that, talk to them. Hopefully that improves. But you don't you don't bench a guy because he was a 6.6 on sofa score. You normally bench a guy because he was in the fives because he made egregious mistakes. We need to separate that stuff. Every referee in pro is not bad. And that mentality has to stop because when that doesn't stop, then it becomes every referee in USL is bad. Every referee in college is bad. Every referee in youth is bad. And I'm going to yell at them. No, 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 no. The, the abuse towards referees has to 100% stop. And that's why I do think if pro would announce these guys are being suspended because of this, very specifically, this error in what they did. Then we'll know what's egregious or not, rather than guessing like, ah, this guy's not good. Why? I don't know. I just don't like him. 
He's wearing a referee kit. No, that's not fair. Uh, Thomas Jewin says uh, additional comment on referee accountability. It can't be just it can't just be suspensions. There also must be training session, detailed discussion with the refs, oh, question yeah. sure. entire team from the match, probably the entire pro membership about why the suspension is happening. Tom, okay, now first off, Thomas, that, that's not realistic at all. Let's let's slow down on that. If one referee has a bad day, then you don't have to have treatment with the whole referee crew across the country to take time out of their days when a lot of these guys work other jobs. Uh, because it's not a full-time job all the time. Um, no, let, let's slow down. Because one referee making a mistake doesn't mean that every other referee does. That's also, that's the mentality I'm talking about. We've got to get away from that. We've got to stop with that. I think pros should be better. I, I think referees should be better. I think they need more in, investment in development. It's something I think U.S. soccer has really lacked. Uh, they There needs to be a clear pathway. There needs to be development. Yeah, when a referee has consistent bad days, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna send a player because he missed a sitter to remedial finishing training for two weeks. No, that's not. That, no, he, he missed a sitter. He's probably gonna sit on the bench. But am I gonna then? You have to stay after practice. You have to to finish these shots after practice every day for two weeks, and then maybe you can play again. No, let's let's no no. When it's an egregious one and you get benched, you know why you got benched. These guys are pros. They know. They know they screwed it up. Referees are probably harder on themselves than than fans are harder on them in some cases. Uh, Storm Chaser Kevin, I can't imagine why anyone in the world would want to be a referee in any sport. It's it's a, it's a thankless task at times. It's really difficult. Um, they take too much abuse. And I, look, I know I, I get hard on referees, but when I have the conversation, I, I do try really, really hard to go beyond that was a bad call. This guy should lose his job. No. Why was it a bad call? Why do I feel like it was a bad call is probably the better way to put it because I'm not on the field. You know, the um, uh, we had one. Uh, it wasn't the Aiden McFadden red with the twos because that was clear. Uh, it wasn't the red from Sheldon for Charleston because that was clear. But we had one at some point and there was a red or a yellow. And it's like, well, I don't no idea why that would be the case unless he said something and found out later. Yeah, he said something. He said something that should have got him sent off. OK, there's no way I can know that. And and I have to be clear when I'm talking about being frustrated or, or whatever, that this is the way I saw it. Um we talk a lot about referees because I think we all want it to be better, but I do want the conversation to progress past all referees are bad and, and they're all terrible and they should fire all of them. Well, no, then you don't have referees. These guys are sacrificing a lot. And these women are, are sacrificing a lot. They put up with a lot. They put up with a lot of unfair criticism from people who frankly don't know the laws of the game. You can brush that off really easily they do get down on themselves when they have a bad day. They absolutely do. And that's not where it needs to be either. They need to be held accountable for having bad days because it affects a lot of people's livelihoods. It can cost a coach's job. It can cost players win bonuses, all kinds of different things. Yeah, it's a lot of responsibility. Okay, let's give them all the tools we can so they can get the calls right. VAR is a big part of that. Let's give them the support they need to get the things right. And when they don't, either in a big mistake like in Toronto or a series of bad performances, 
let's sit them down. Let's talk about why it happened. If it's a young referee and they haven't shown they can handle the top flight yet, they might need to go back to USL some more. That opens up an opportunity, just like on the player side it would. It needs to be treated more like that, but there has to be more resources put towards development of referees because they don't have enough support in general. They need more. So we have better referees. And then games are better. Because if you have a bad referee, generally the game's not very good. If you have a good referee, generally find out who the better team is on the day. That's what we want. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Sheath was asking, why do refs and VAR not have access to all camera angles? They sh- they do. The- they should not, unless there is a technical issue. Um, and John, I don't think you control the camera angles, so there shouldn't be. Yeah. Um, they should have access to all the camera angles. There, there's not a situation where TV is keeping a camera angle from them intentionally. Uh, they should have access to everything. But, and when they don't, it, but I think you're limited in each case as to how many cameras there are in any given television production. I think yeah, of course. I mean, you, you can't have you know made-up cameras. <laughs> like you, you have the cameras that are there. You have the cameras that the TV uses and you're using that and that's what you're getting. You're getting that feed and you're getting all those. You do have a time crunch and this is where the AVARs are really important in being good with the technology and being good with spotting where, okay, you know, it was a foul in this portion of the field. I think, let me get the camera from that side. Okay, cool. Here we go. Boom. And you're doing it fast. I think the time crunch is more of the issue at times of, getting the right angle and getting it where you want to make the, imp- the the buzz down to the referee that, hey, we got something here. I think it's the time crunch. It's not that they don't have access to a certain camera or something. And uh, Abby says, so when U.S. soccer asks for people to give money, they need to say some of the money and a certain percentage goes for ref training. Yes. the I think U.S. soccer has done a really good job in the last decade of putting money, resources, budget towards coaching education. They need to do the same, if not more, for a short period of time to referees. It needs to happen. And they probably then need to have a larger discussion because that U.S. soccer is going to affect the referees below the professional level. And referees, you know, there are plenty of referees who work pro-level games, USL championship, but definitely leagues below that, and work big youth tournaments and stuff like that. College is a whole separate thing. College is, is governed differently. It's a whole separate set of laws of the game. And that's, that's very complicated, but us soccer will handle the youth development 
of referees. So the referees who are on their way up working state cups, working, you know, big regional tournaments, all that, they absolutely need to invest in development there. And then there has to be a conversation with pro and with all the professional leagues, NISA, USL, they have two divisions, um, NWSL, USL will have a third division with the super league on the women's side next year and MLS. They all need to sit down and say, we, for the professional referee development, because their development doesn't stop for the professional referee development, we need to figure out in a budgetary sense or a whoever's going to pay for it. How do we continue to do that? I don't know if that's going to come from U.S. soccer, if that's going to come from a budget that is created for pro. I don't know how that side goes. But, yeah, there has to be more investment in referee development. It's just it's got to happen. Uh, circling back uh, to Sheath's comment about cameras and such, uh, yeah. real quick, I just thought that was the reason provided for the Toronto NYC penalty issue, that the, quote, smoking gun angle wasn't available to VAR and then not shown to center ref. If that's the case, then then somebody screwed up at the beginning because there shouldn't be an angle not shown. In that case, it it it's actually the other way around, Sheath. If I'm if I'm not mistaken, because they called it a penalty on the field, and they had an angle that they said showed it wasn't a penalty, and they went with that. If you had another one, maybe, but they sh- they they would have had it if they didn't. Then it's a technical issue somewhere in the chain it's not like tv didn't give them access to that camera and if they didn't then that's on tv then tv screwed it up but there's not tv specific cameras that don't get fed to to var's that doesn't make sense like why would you do that so they're all being fed in if the avar or the var and however that process goes if they don't find that angle fast enough then that's on them then they have to be trained and they have to get better at it because that's their job. And that's why I think you need dedicated video assistant referees instead of center referees working those games when they're not in the middle or when they're not a fourth. It needs to be dedicated, trained video assistant referees. Back to Atlanta and D.C. Uh, Ragamuffin, at what point can we say that that many fouls equals out to just lacking real talent and having to resort to bush leakness? No, I, I disagree with that. I don't think there's a set number because I would not say Philadelphia is a lack of talent and Philadelphia will, will kick you all over the field if they get the chance. Um, it is a tactic. Um, it's a tactic and it's trying to break up the other team playing. I don't like it. I wish U.S. referees in general, because it's kind of across all facets, would clamp down on it more. Um, I think referees in different parts of the world call it tighter in those situations or go to the book a little bit faster in those situations. Referees here, look, generally we allow a lot of physicality. Um, I'm not a fan of that, but that's the style that has kind of sort of been ingrained in American or U.S. soccer for ever. Um, and a lot of it is, is an English and a German influence. And I, I think there's a little more physicality in those leagues than there is in like a Spanish. Um, you know, uh, look, I think, I think the Bundesliga has changed. I think their referees are generally very good. I think English referees are wildly inconsistent, like Amer- like U.S. referees. I, I don't think English referees are the best in the world. Um, I don't. I just, sorry. Uh I don't think it's down to being Bush League. I think it's a tactic. And if the referee lets you do it, you should keep doing it if it works. 
but Philly and Red Bulls, I wouldn't say it's a talent issue for them playing that way. I think it's just, it's what works for them. It's the style of play that they have chosen. Um, not a big fan of it, but hey, that's up to them. A couple on Marcelina Moreno before we get to the top yeah. of the hour. We might just get past the top of the hour with it. That's fine. Modaflow goes, is it just me or are many of the Barco haters now Moreno haters? <laughs> I, I, I'm honestly trying really hard not to get sucked into some of the narratives that get spun around um, in circles, all circles, every circle. I'm trying to stay away from circles and bird apps uh, during games and after games and life in general. Uh, if, if so, it's a shame. It's a real shame. I think you have a very fascinating, unique player in Marcelino Moreno. There's not a lot of players to compare him to. He's not like Barco. He's different. Um, do they have similarities in that they're both very good on the dribble and force defenders to often foul them? Yeah, 100% they do. Uh, but they play differently. Marcelino, I think, is a little bit stronger and is his upper body, is his core uh barco probably faster straight line speed um i think barco is a better defender i think moreno uh it's an area of his game i'd like to see improve a little bit more um i think barco's better on free kicks better on set pieces yeah i mean we can go on and on they're different players but the similarity that i think maybe triggers this is the fact that they both like to dribble and yeah, welcome to a lot of Argentine players. Not all, but a lot of attacking Argentine players um, who play in that area of the field will go on on runs. They'll go on dribbling runs. Uh, they, they love the gambettas. They, they, they love that game, and it is celebrated in that soccer culture. Here, go watch a youth game, and you'll see what the culture is from a lot of people because a lot of the people who might be parents, might be youth coaches, uh, might be hanging around the youth fields are going to be the ones who are yelling, pass it, shoot it, don't dribble. And like taking dribbling out of the game. And no, just no. Like, don't do that. Celebrate it. Like, yes, you need to know when to dribble. And trust me, Ezekiel Barco and Marcelino Moreno know when to dribble. These are not five-year-olds. They know exactly what they're doing, and they know what the effect is. Marcelino got two guys on, on yellow, card, yellow cards in this game. They had to back off from their press and open the game up more. That's called doing a good job. It's, it's a shame. And I don't know, maybe it's just because of, like, you know, my, my soccer mutt background where, you know, I obviously grew up in, in the Atlanta area, but fell in love with the game through Diego Maradona, who he liked himself a dribble from time to time, uh, especially against England in a world cup. He, you know, I love that stuff. And that's the background that I enjoy. Uh, Raquel may pulling the, the nutmeg and the announcer going, Oh, oh show time. I mean, I love that stuff. And I love that a whole lot more than, Oh, it's a crunching tackle. And he hoofed it. I could, whatever. I, I appreciate a good tackler. I appreciate a good six, obviously. Uh, but I like guys who can make magic happen with the ball. Maybe I, always wanted to be that kind of a player myself and couldn't. So uh, I always look up to that. 
I love the Marcelino Morenos and Ezekiel Barcos. And to say that anybody who would hate their game, I'm I'm sorry, just no, no, and no. Uh, Jared, we've talked about this. Sorry, I've been rambling. I apologize. Uh, it's one of those days. But Jared, we've talked about this with Ezekiel Barco. Um, Marcelo Gajardo is a pretty good judge of talent. And he is a very ambitious manager who has a year at River Plate where he wants to win every trophy possible. He wanted to get Ezekiel Barco into his team. And when you see the reactions to the way that Barco has played early on the season at River, they are loving the things that some who covered the game in this country trashed Barco about. They are loving it in Argentina. Shows you the differences in culture. That is different. I mean, it's you're seeing it. Um, if I can take it from a personal tilt, you're seeing it right now in Scotland with the way mm-hmm. it's being observed. Um, some clubs and some fan bases don't want to make that jump away from that um, man, like playing in the frozen tundra Lambeau Field style of just crunching tackles, defend deep maybe get out on the break and make something happen. Oh, and hold on, Jared. You... Hold on, Jared. Um, I don't have my sound effects with me. Dun, 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 dun. Give me another one, John. Better. <laughs> better. Okay. The quest for the AmFam Cup starts now. Atlanta United hosting Pachuca on June 14th. Coming up here a uh, couple couple months. Um, couple months. Come into town. Very cool. It is the American Family Insurance Cup at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Uh, multi-year deal with AmFam to host the American Family Insurance Cup, an annual match that will see Atlanta United play top foreign clubs at Mercedes-Benz. Pachuca is the opponent this time around. Um, Pachuca is really good this year. They're second in the Clausura right now, 8-1-2, plus 11 on the goal differential side. They are the only Mexican club to win the Copa Sudamericana in 2006. Uh, they have won the CONCACAF Champions League Cup, all of it, five times. Um, I think Pachuca is a club that gets left out of the conversation of Mexican heavyweights a lot, and they shouldn't, especially in uh, this millennium. They've been outstanding. This is a really cool game. I think it'll be a really good game against Pachuca June 14th. It should be a lot of fun. Um, I'd imagine there will be other other clubs that get involved from around, not just Mexico, but maybe South America, maybe Europe. Yeah, um, you'll It'll you'll, get, you'll get yeah you'll get clubs from all over. That'll be fun. Um, yeah, we got point. it on ninety two nine the game too. Uh, it'll be on Bally's and it'll be oh, nice. on ninety two nine. So uh, yes, looking nice. forward to that. But yeah, you're 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 dealing with this in other countries with other with other clubs like. Um, my uh, as Jason calls them, my beloved Celtic, because of the way yes. they have changed things up. You know, you went from Neil Lennon to Postacoglu, and it was like shifting from first gear to fourth gear without a clutch, and kind of dicey for like a month early in the season. And then you've got other clubs that have kind of like had to change things up with you know over even over Rangers, where you bring in a manager midway through the season because Gerard goes south. And you've had to make changes. And yeah, that didn't work out for them yesterday. But at the same time, they're advancing into Europe at a clip in a very impressive way. And mm-hmm. they're trying to drag things forward. You're trying to drag your development forward in Scotland as you know, as you're looking now down the barrel of, hey, if we beat Ukraine and we beat Wales, we get England again. 
which honestly might be the motivation they need. Um, I still don't think they beat either. I don't think they beat both of them, but that's going to be a hell of a motivation. But it's going to be different. And Mar- Marcelino Moreno is a unique one. Um, if for no other reason, Marcelino Moreno keeps showing up, if nothing else, when you need him. Um, and that's the thing I'll always come back to about him is, yeah, he's talented on the dribble. He's a very good player. He's also, you can, and I don't I don't know, I know not everyone believes in the, the hashtag clutch gene. Mar- if there is one, Marcelino Moreno has it, though. Because oh, I believe in the clutch look, gene, and he's got it. Look how many of your moments have happened with him either finishing them off with the weirdest header you've ever seen or him starting things with the right pass or playing a just disgusting ball uh, to uh, to Jake Mulraney down the right side. Mm-hmm. Marcelino Moreno pops up in those moments that you need him to. You know, when we talk about a team and when it, Atlanta was struggling at times, it's like, well, you can brute force your way sometimes. Guys like that are how you can brute force your way with raw talent because they show up in those moments when other players might not. 100%. Um, yeah, that goal was was a weird one for us because I could not see who scored it and just the reaction from everybody. Like trying to to parse that out from as far away as we were because we were on the other end line. <laughs> that was our angle, like literally on the other end line. Um, trying to parse out who scored it and what happened we had no idea. We had no monitor in front of us. Um, I should have known that it's DC and it's a late moment uh, that it would have been Moreno because he did it last year too. Uh, I don't know what it is about DC and clutch moments that gets Moreno going even more that he's scoring on headers like that. I have no idea. The one last year was just the one last year was rude in the way that he was cutting right and cut it across his body through a, through a forest of legs and then into the far corner, like the way it, it, it's such a stupidly difficult shot to pull off with pace and to aim it and to like actually get something on it. It was ridiculously stupid and rude in the best ways possible. Yes. All of that. Yes, absolutely. It was ridiculous. Um, he does that sometimes. He does that. I like him. I like Marcelino Moreno. So, yes, I am against the haters in general when it comes to uh, hating talented players who make things happen on the dribble and make things happen individually and maybe don't fit into a box of, well, when I tell a player on Football Manager what to do, they just do that and they don't deviate from it. Um Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. No, that's not how the best players in the world play. Uh, go tell Pedri what, what he should be doing and what he shouldn't be doing on the dribble and see how that goes. If you haven't seen Pedri's uh, goal from the weekend. Woo-hoo. Uh, speaking of uh, my beloved Scotland, SPFL clubs to vote on inclusion of VAR on April 19th. Bring it. I want chaos. Do it. Bring it. Bring it into the. It's the just going to be different. For fun. <laughs> just only have the VAR in the split. Just only on that. the north side of the split. The, uh, yeah, the, the team sure. south of the sixth spot don't they get, get no it. VAR. 
They get no fourth <laughs> official. They get one AR. Just like, yeah, yeah make it really stupid. Just go well, for it. There's that there, there's already. that that interdivisional tournament in Scotland where if when they play if they it's in like during the games during the season count to this if they play to a draw they go to a shootout immediately because they have to award three or one points for that uh, to get through the playoff of their cup because they looked at Argentina and was like that's comp in Brazil and went that's complicated should we do that no let's do something dumber and let's weirder do it even more ridiculous mm-hmm. yes we are Scotland have fun that's your tagline. Basically, you can make a hashtag of it. Uh, I don't have music for you, John, but you can tell us about our good friends at Lemonize. I could do that. There you go. Sorry. Well, no, I mean, if you if you bring Jarrett in, if you bring no, in, we're not doing that. Okay. Uh, Sorry. For odor free, clean, fresh air, there's one place that you need to go. It's Lemonize Service QR code over my left shoulder. For those of you watching on Twitch, Lemonize Service deodorizes enclosed spaces like houses, apartments, and condos. They've created a customized solution. That eliminizes all organic odors, including those like pets, cigarettes, and food. Realtors and property managers use Eliminize service to eliminize bad odors to help them sell or rent their homes that much faster. It's a turnkey process that makes it easy to work with said realtors and property managers. Kind of the environment. We like that these days. Offering a very green way to get rid of odors without any kind of toxic residue. It's different than our favorite masking agents that we have under the sink because all those masking agents do. They just mask the odor. They don't attack the problem. Eliminize does that all the way down to the molecule with a proven scientific formula to do just that. Pricing is easy, one of two ways. Cubic feet or parts per million to come up with a price that's affordable for you, offering results in 24 hours or less. If you have any questions, frequently asked or otherwise, go to their website, Eliminize.com. But do us a favor here at SDH. After the .com, go slash Atlanta so they know what part of the world that you are talking to them from. So it is E-L-I-M-I-N-I. ZE.com slash Atlanta, Eliminize.com slash Atlanta for odor-free, clean, fresh air. Eliminize service, proud sponsors of everything. SDH. Nicely done. And everyone is commenting on Jarrett's audio today and how much crisper and cleaner it is. Well, how did this happen, Jarrett? A uh, new headset. Oh, well, there you go. That would that would help. Uh-huh. Good job. Thanks. And you're not at Target or Kroger or Publix or Piggly Wiggly. Oh, no, we're not. Yeah, that's soccer over there. Okay. There's a different. There's a different bingo game for uh for over there versus uh down yes. here. Yes. Yeah. Prepositional yes. bingo. Yeah. Yeah. There's that. We'll get into uh, all of that and uh, picks of the week and everything else that is uh, buffoonish tonight. Bentner, on Bentner over there. there. We will obviously get into Bentner over there because that is uh, a, a award-winning segment. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Other stuff to react to before we just finish off with, with questions for the rest of this hour because we are out at 12. Um, World Cup draw. So timing actually worked out perfectly on Friday. Uh, landed, got on the bus to make the drive uh, from the airport to the hotel, and that took up like all of the opening ceremonies of the drive. Oh, you lucky soul! Yeah, I mean it was Jeez. it was on. I the had Discord my was on. an art form. <laughs> oh, I can imagine. Um, it was it was something. Uh, I don't hate the the World Cup song. Actually, I, I'm okay with it. It's it's not the best one, but it's not bad. It's, it's better than the Champions League one. I was on mute. What? I was Champions I was, League doesn't. No, 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 no. Champions League doesn't have a song like the World Cup song every year. 
not the anthem, John. Like that that's the Champions League thing they play before every game. I'm not okay. talking about that. That's what I was talking about. Was the anthem. Well, why would you be talking about that? That's the same thing every time. You know Ricky Martin's World Cup theme. You know Shakira's World Cup theme, right? Yeah. You probably know Daryl Hall's World Cup theme. You probably have the 45, right? Probably somewhere. <laughs> it's, not it's on an eight track. Yeah, if it's if it's, it's not here on like the the level of uh, Office HD, it might be up on the second level on the forty five. Yeah, he he doesn't have the forty five. He has the single is what he has of that. My there you sorry. Yes, that is true. Ninety four. Oh, you got that. But um, it's good. I like it better than the twenty eighteen one. Off my jump. Off the jump. Um, the twenty eighteen one was meh. Uh, there's others that are better, but it's fine. I like that. The um. All of the rigmarole to open the show. I mean, uh whatever. Okay. Uh, I was surprised they didn't have translators available for for. That was very annoying to all of us. That was very odd. Um, Four card was four card was the MVP for being able to like uh, give us an idea of what was being said. I felt awful for Stone. Yes, for FS1, just not having translators, and then when they're speaking and telling stories, they just cut back to the studio and, hey, Rob, Lexi, fill time. Just talk, just yeah. talk, guys, because we don't know what's going on either. I don't know. That's, talk that's about your pickup league, dude. Doing yeah. your stall. That was that was a shame. Um, it's tough doing that stuff. I, I mean, Rob handled it as well as you could possibly handle it, but yeah, not having translation was a surprising decision. Um, so I got like. We got out of the bus and I got to sit down in the lobby of the hotel before going upstairs as the draw was starting. So it was perfect timing. Um, Hey, I said it the day before I did a a conference with with Jess and I said, look, it's going to be the US and England in a group and I'm going to really like that. (laughs) And I really like that. I'm absolutely fine with that portion of the draw. When you look at who they could have gotten out of the pot one groups teams. I'm good with England. If you don't get Qatar, okay, because they're the weakest team in pot one. There's no way around it. Yes, they're the home team. They're, they're the weakest team. Um, if you don't get Portugal, who is who I would have liked to have got, I'll take England. I'll take England because that is not an easy game for England to play, no matter what ridiculous English pundit or tabloid or one of John's favorite bookmarks has to say. John, I'm sorry. I'm going to slander all of England Go for, for months now. You're just going to have to deal. Go for it. No, it's, I mean, it's coming. I'm warning you. We got a long time till that game kicks off. Can, can I, we Go for it, Jared. Can we, can we address the way that this is going to play out, that there's a non-zero chance that if this thing breaks the way it is possible for this to break, England is going to need a result against Wales and or Scotland. Well, mm-hmm. Wales or Scotland, not and. Uh, they they're gonna they might need a result against Wales or Scotland to get where they want to be because that's their third game. Could you imagine Wales or Scotland saying, "Hey, we can't make it through. But we either. can give we can give England a really bad draw." Or take it out of their hands if yes. we do this. And oh my God, do you want to watch 18 people put their souls on the line for something? Yeah. Uh, Thomas, sorry to, to, mis, uh, to mislead. Uh, I wasn't saying that FIFA didn't have translators. I know they did because I know some other coverage that had translation. For some reason, translation was not on Fox. And I don't know if that was something with a feed, if it was a technical issue or, or what. Um, but yeah, trust me they've they've done this before they had translation for the the event that was going out they they obviously did um well jared to take it to the next step with what you said like yeah the u.s has got to play iran in that game too which 
that has it's a lot. Not of, as much like, as a pushover as I well, think people were brushing no, no, off. As. No, it's not. But it's it's also not as much of a uh, non awkward rival ish kind of matchup either. So yeah, it's it's gonna be it's an interesting group. Um, I said it coming in, and I don't know why it was a shock to everybody. If if you haven't followed how the World Cup draws changed, there wasn't going to be an obvious group of death. It's just it's by ranking, so you're eliminating a lot of the possibility of groups of death. You have some tough groups, and you have some. I was groups about to say, do I we want to awkward without calling one a group of death because that's cliche? Do we want to pick one that like that we think is like going to be the most? Hey, everybody here has knife wounds kind of group. I mean, sure, like we can, but they're all actually really even and they're all yeah. they all have really good, I, I think, storylines in them. I'm I'm really happy with how it turned out. I have no problems with the way that this grouped up at all. Um so I mean if I'm gonna pick one that I think it's the hardest to choose who comes out of it, I'll go group H. Yeah. Uh, because Portugal, Ghana, Uruguay, South Korea, I could see any of them winning it. I could see any of them coming in second. And John, you, you think do you have Ghana, a... Ghana, Uruguay, uh, after what happened in 2010? Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, Ghana's already publicly come out and talked oh, yeah. about it. Oh, yeah, for sure. This is yeah. revenge. Yeah. yeah. Um, That's going to be wild. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I'm right there with you, Jared. I thought, I thought that H was one that I, that I looked at as one where everybody's going to have knife wounds. I mean, I like I like Group C just because of the, the marquee where you've got uh, Messi, Lewandowski, and Mexico in, in Group C. I think that that one is going to be an interesting one. You know, Mexico we, has a tougher draw than the U.S. Yeah. I, I think Mexico has a harder way out of their group than the U.S. does. And then you look at F, since we're talking CONCACAF, and you've got Belgium, Canada, Morocco, and Croatia. I don't think that, uh, you know, that's because of the pot that you're in if you're Canada, but that's not one that's going to do you any favors either. No, that's a tricky one. I mean, Croatia is led by the ageless Luka Modric, who Father Time is not caught yet. Nope. Um, yes, Thomas Quinn, it's Group H. It is Group H, yes. Group H, yes. And it is, uh, according to, depending on who was speaking on the show, uh, Qatar, 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 like it was all of the above. Um, I, I actually I don't know if they dropped a cutter in that, but they did get some Qatars Qatar. in yeah. there, which is not. Uh, no, that's not. That's not close. That's not even trying. I just get in the ballpark, please. From. Yes, it's just no, it, no. Cutter is actually closer than Qatar. Can I posit Group E? Yeah. Because Absolutely. I don't want to play the I, poor. I mean, I don't want to say poor Japan because Japan might jump up and bite somebody's mm. ankles. Um, I don't think so. I mean, Spain, pretty clear. Spain, Germany. It, that icy playoff too is that is Peru's group. I think no, that's New Zealand or, or Costa, Rica. Costa Rica. New Zealand. Oh, New Zealand. So I'm sorry, yeah, Peru's the other Novice. Well, they no. well, what I'm what Costa I'm looking Rica at score. not on these teams. What, what I'm looking at doesn't tell me just this icy playoff too. That's why I'm asking. It's no, I'm telling you, it's New Zealand, Costa Rica. Okay, well, Costa Rica and Japan might be fun. <laughs> Even if it was Peru, no, I, I think it's pretty clear. Like in that one, to me, I think Spain and Germany clearly. I don't think Japan's as good as they've been. I mean, re, the very super early, and, and this is off the top of my head. I have not done this. Um, group A, I will go Netherlands and Ecuador getting out. 
Um, I think Group A, the second spot, is going to be super competitive. The Dutch should get out of that without too many bruises. Yeah. Uh, group B, I think it's the, the U.S. and England. Um, flip one, flip two. I, I don't, I don't care. I think they both get out. Yeah. Group C, I think it's Argentina and Poland. Sorry, Mexico. Um, I think you have a really tough draw. I think Mexico gets out of it. I don't. I don't think they beat Poland. I think Robert Lewandowski. Uh, no, I think. I think. I, I, think I can Poland. see where you, I see where you're coming from. Um, I think I Poland. Think, I think Carol Swiderski might hurt out. you too. To be perfectly honest, I think Carol Swiderski is a better forward than anybody Mexico's got right now. Mexico's got to call in Chicharito, and then we'll talk about it. I don't know if they're going to do that it. That would be that would be outstanding. Well, they should. It shouldn't, even, it shouldn't be a laugh. Yeah, it, uh, it no. shouldn't be funny. Like I, I, I don't get it anymore. And if there's some, if there's some soap opera tabloid issue, and that's what it seems like it is, that's why he's not being called in. Y'all get her, better solve it. Mm-hmm. Y'all better yeah. solve it because you're not getting out of that group with what you got. I don't think. I just don't see it. I think Poland's a better team. Uh, group D. Just to run through this really quick on my end. Um, France gets out. Yeah. Oof. And then I do not know. I am not as high on Denmark as some others. Uh, I need to see more of them as we get closer to it. Uh, Peru or Australia. Um, I I don't think that's a guarantee. You said that really fast, John. Like Australia is not bad. Uh Um, that's a a pretty much a tall. It's a one game too. If it was home and away. Yeah. I'd feel a little bit better about Peru. One game in a neutral site, I, that's a toss-up. And I don't know if either one can come in and knock out Denmark. Uh, I think Tunisia has a, an opportunity to get out there. I'll go France-Denmark. I'll go chalk. But I'm not – I don't feel good about it. Uh, Spain-Germany and E, I do feel good about that. Group F, um, I am – I think – let me finish. I'm doing this on my end. This is not John's picks. I said I'm going to do this. It is Belgium, and I do think Father Time catches up, and I think Real Madrid uh, with a long run, and they might have a La Liga title chase on their hands, maybe possibly Barcelona. Um, and they've got Champions League. I think those those miles this year and in a short summer and in going into another year, I don't think Luka Modric is at the level he is now. I am going to go Belgium and Canada to get out of Group F. Um, feeling squirrely this morning. Group G, I'm going to go uh, Brazil. And ooh, I don't have any faith in Cameroon. Um, I'm going to go Brazil and Serbia. I will go with a little bit of an upset there. And Group H, H, I will go with... I'm going to go with South Korea, and I am going to go with... Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm going with South Korea and Uruguay. That's where my gut's telling me. There you go. Embrace it. Embrace it. I think Cristiano Ronaldo's wheels fall off, and somehow Edinson Cavani's don't. And I don't think Luis Suarez bites anybody. Embrace Luis Suarez's golden boot campaign. I'm embracing Cavani, and I'm really embracing Darwin Nunez. Um, But I think South Korea gets out of that. Talk to your kids about Luis Suarez's golden boot at the World Cup. Those, Those are the picks on April fourth they yeah. will be different when we get closer <laughs> yeah don't even worry they will be different that is my gut reaction to the draw and who so out. how how much how much uh spirited discussion are we going to be having between now and november between uh us and say uh 
Jessica Charman. Um, I can guarantee you that after the draw happened while I was sitting in said lobby waiting to go upstairs, I was already trashed off. <laughs> so, yeah, um, uh, there will hey, be a lot. If it's Wales that gets out of that group, throw Jack Collison in there too, please. Yeah. I mean, look, you got a lot of a lot of potential chaos there. Um, it's that's a, a really prickly group. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it's maybe the most prickly group. So, no, there will be a, a lot in the build up to the tournament. And then after games, game ones for everybody, uh, probably Jess and I uh, will we will be friends, but we will not be very Frenemies. friendly for a few days until the final whistle of that. Black yeah, and then we have Atlanta Charlotte this weekend. That was the other portion of the trash talk between me and Jess. Yep. hundred percent. It's going to be fun. Black Friday, the U S and England, two o'clock, all the U S games at two o'clock in the afternoon, uh, black hey, Friday, when US, the- England, get ready. Hey, when this does numbers, by the way, MLS, I hope you're watching because Black Friday is when you need to host MLS Cup. Every MLS Cup, damn Black year. Friday. I am all every in. damn year. I am all in with the what? way the calendar is going to go with adding Leagues Cup into it, and you get out of having a World Cup in this ridiculous time. This is your trigger to do it. That is the plan from now on: is Black Friday, MLS Cup, five o'clock kickoff in the east I was about to say five or six would be five or six where wherever you want to put it in there you can have all your build up you can have your your crazy opening ceremonies with musical performers and all the big golden Valderrama head golden hologram carlos valderrama and and friends all of it awesome. all of Valderrama it black friday yes carlos valderrama and friends on black friday every single year from now on let's do it <laughs> absolutely it's Black Friday, Kevin. Not too many people are working on Black Friday. That's a day where less people are working, and you do it at five or six o'clock. You have big games on every other league. Everyone's going on working that day. from home these days. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, nobody's working in offices anymore. Come on. I mean, I mean, you you look at that particular network, and it's on Fox. But hold on, Kevin. I don't know what percentage of population work in retail. I have worked Black Fridays plenty of times in my life, so I I know. And if you're smart and you're working on Black Friday, you do the early shift and you get out of there because mm-hmm. you don't want to deal with people late in the day on Black Friday. That's when you're sitting in front of your TV watching MLS Cup. You got to trade off somewhere. Trust me. I did my mall Black Fridays, Kevin. I am right there with you. I know how it is, was, will be, all of it. Give me a reason to, to work early and get out of work. Give me a reason. I mean, the, the network that's broadcasting – the World Cup for their weekend. Fox, Thursday, you've got American football. Friday, you've got World Cup. We've got Black Friday, England, and the U.S. And then you have Michigan and Ohio State college football on Saturday. So that's Fox's Thanksgiving weekend right there. Well, they'll have World Cup in other days than Friday, too. Don't True. You know, understand that it is a month of yeah. stuff. And they'll have those 2 o'clock games and other ones. And they might have you on FS1, et cetera. Now, look, I mean, the thing is, like, whatever game, whatever time you pick for an MLS Cup, which is where this started from, uh, somebody's going to be inconvenienced. Some, you can put it wherever you want in the calendar, time of the day, whatever. Somebody's going to be inconvenienced. There's no way around it. Welcome. Um, you got to pick something. You got to be consistent. And, and I think that would be a cool, consistent thing to do. And then, Kevin, you would need to request to work, be off by that time. I'm just saying. That's all I can do for you. I, I got nothing else. Um, 
<laughs> a bunch of other now everybody's talking about all kinds of stuff with black friday all right let's get into other questions from other reactions from the weekend what else do we have on the twitch pitch john uh pd was asking about your position at audi field and <laughs> where you got to broadcast the game they, uh, pd was, oh. you were at midfield or in one of the end zones oh, it's a I manifesto now Oh, no, I was not at midfield. No, 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 no. There was no midfield. Um, we were not in the end zone, but essentially we were. We were on the camera side, and where the goal was at the end, we were on the other end. Um, I was almost even with the end line. Like, that was where we were. Um the other fun thing, uh, well, a bunch of fun things. First off, this was the first road game I did play-by-play -play and and all of it for Atlanta United. It was the first road game where I had to be engineer and play-by-play -play because that is what Mike does, and he carries the the equipment and gets it set up, and it was the first time I had to do that, so I was a little stressed about that, but no problems with that. It was all good. Um, we were supposed to have effects fed in from the house that the natural sounds from the field because we were literally in a glass case of emotion plexiglassed in uh no access to the outside world uh doug robertson comes over and like knocks on it when we got there laughing at us and yeah we deserve to be laughed at um it's the sequel to the cube that no one asked for yes we're, we're in a plexiglass case uh so we had effects. They have an effects board. They have the sounds running through the stadium, all these things. Okay, we're supposed to get that. Well, all we're getting is uh, a tone for an hour, getting close to uh, start of our pregame show. It's a tone. Like I couldn't even turn it down, hoping because that's where it was supposed to be coming from. I had somebody tell me multiple times that's where it's coming from over and over again, came in multiple times, was checking on this reportedly, and it never came. So I couldn't even turn it down and leave it plugged in. I had to unplug the cable from the setup because it was interfering with what we were trying to do. Turned all the way down. So the first segment, we have no natural sound. It's it's Jeff and I talking in a plexiglass case. Check it, it, it plug it back in in the commercial break. Nope, nothing. This time the TV is on at this point. And like the feed we're getting is from the truck. We're supposed to have that feed. They're supposed to have that feed. They don't have it, I guess, or whatever. We don't have it. We go into the second segment. After the second segment, turn it on. Nope, we got nothing. I had been promised we didn't have it, so I didn't have the, the crowd mic set up. Been promised we would have it. We don't have it at this point. I got a seven-minute break, and then I got like a two-minute segment and then the close of the pregame and the open of the game and then the lineups and then a five-minute segment. I got that seven-minute segment. I plug in to see if we're getting it from the board. We're not. I make the executive decision of, all right, Jeff, if I'm not back in time, you're going to have to start the segment. It's the keys. It's your segment anyway. All good. But I'm going to plug in a crowd mic. So, And that's not easy running out of my plexiglass case because I was in a plexiglass case. Mm -hmm. I had to plug in the mic into the long cord. I had to uh, run out the door, down past another plexiglass case, down a slight little hallway, and then out a window, stick a microphone, tape it down, have the cord not get stuck. Luckily, nobody was using the plexiglass case uh, between us. 
have the cord not get stuck in the door and then get it plugged in and then get the level set up. Got it set and feeding and all good with 45 seconds to spare. How long a run are we talking here? It's not a long run, but just to add to the degree of difficulty, it's not like I could just go straight to the window. There was, for some reason, like a guardrail. Like, it made no sense, but there was a rail that I couldn't get around to get to the window easily, so I had to, like, climb over the rail, put the mic out the window, tape it down, climb back over the rail, run back around the corner, back to the plexiglass case, and got there with 45 seconds, plugged it in, it sounded good, we got the level, and then did the key segment, and there we go um and then what's even funnier is the the guy who was trying to help us with the effects feed like comes back in 20 minutes into the game and says it's working now and i'm like we're good we're fine uh it did lead to an interesting moment uh coming back from the halftime break where where the cameras or where the the microphone was sticking out the window uh it was right over a beer stand and (laughs) Somebody was really unhappy with something about the operations of the beer stand and was <laughs> yelling about their card or charging it. And don't you know what you're doing? And I'm like, man, all right, let me turn that down for a second. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, uh, that was fun. Um, ACL Pilgrim, they probably were looking up saying, what is that man doing? Because I'm like running around. The rail is the thing that blew my mind because it, there was no need for the rail there there was no need and i had to like hop over it and hop back and luckily i didn't fall and break my neck and then jeff's doing the game solo and i'm dead at Audi field luckily that didn't happen when it comes to other locations in mls where you and my no there's no comparison nope this is there's, there's like 30 there's no comparison this is 35th of 30 there's no comparison. Um, now we haven't been everywhere yet, um, but there's no comparison. I don't know why it is the way it is. I really wish I did. Like, even when it's weird, and there's some places that don't have a lot of booths, and and there's some places that have a different kind of a setup. That's fine. I mean, that, that's going to happen. But the things that are in this one, I don't understand why they are the way that they are. Like that rail. I have no idea why there's a rail there to block a window. I, I don't get it. I don't know why you'd need it. Um, I don't know. Like, I'm trying to think of anything to even try to compare it to. The The NFL venues are great. They're set up for all this kind of stuff. They got a million booths. No problems. Those, those are all wonderful. And you generally, you're, you're at midfield or in that vicinity. It's all good. No problems at all. Um I'll, I'll work through the league. Uh, BC place was good. No problems at all. We had a good spot. I think we were in what would have been when they did baseball there. Uh, one of the behind home plate sections. Uh, when Vancouver was, when they built BC place, they were trying to get a major league baseball team. So they have a baseball set up there. At least they did. Um, I think we were in one of those. Okay. So that one's good. Seattle obviously is an NFL one. No problem. Portland is, is kind of old school. Where we are, it's almost like in one of the like gantry kind of positions that you would see in England, where it's like, a, I guess it would have been the football press box 
when they they had it as a multi-purpose venue because you know it's a baseball stadium and it's kind of in a weird spot you have to climb up a like a, a a like a catwalk kind of thing it's it's not unsafe or anything it's built really well to do it but it's a little weird but the location's great getting to it's kind of weird um carson with the galaxy is great lafc we didn't get a booth we were actually like in a camera well uh the location wasn't perfect in terms of where we were we were like the top of an 18 but the setup they gave us with power and internet everything we needed was great and it was a good spot to call a game from us better than than some others it was fine uh san jose is great we're a little bit off center but it was great um colorado is great you're you're a little off center, but good. Uh, it's a good stadium, good setup. Um, Kansas City's wonderful. Frisco was bad, but the internet was the problem there, and I think that's better now. We had internet issues in Frisco. Hopefully, that's not the problem anymore. I think they did a lot of upgrades when they built the Hall of Fame. Um, Houston. Some people like, some people don't. It was funny talking to to Jeff. He said Houston was one of his favorite stadiums in the league. Uh, the surface, he said, was always immaculate. He loved the the facility there. The surface was great. Broadcast position's a little low, but I don't mind that. Um, it just takes a little getting used to. It creates some issues, but we didn't have any issues with anything there. Bridgeview was was fine with Chicago. Well, we'll Soldier Field will be great. I have no worries about that. Um, I can't think of anything that's even remotely in the ballpark of of Audi Field. I, I got nothing. We haven't been to Fort Lauderdale yet. That's, you know, a kind of a somewhat temporary solution. We'll see. Um I've heard that's a little weird with kind of the the plexiglass in case. Old Columbus didn't have a lot of booths, so we'd run into issues there, but that was an older small stadium, so I can understand it at least. Uh we had good situations there too and we had bad situations. Um New Columbus is great. New Cincinnati is perfect. It's about as good as it gets. Red Bull Arena, we're like on the roof. It's great. I love it. I love that position. Yankee Stadium is the one that's in the ballpark of it, but it's because of the stadium and what it is. It's not like they didn't do something that would make sense. It's we're just far away from the field because that's where the booths are. That kind of stinks. Outside of that, it's it's obviously it's a big stadium that does big things. It's just not built for soccer. Uh, Audi Field is built for soccer, and I don't understand why the booth situation is not better and why some of the logistics aren't better. But anyway. Back on the uh, the Twitch pitch, uh, a couple of folks wanted to know uh, injury updates because of – Don't uh, have them yet. Um, and you wouldn't have had them after the game. Don't have them yet. Uh, Alonzo, Hosechu were the two who left injured. Hosechu, I'm almost certain, was a hamstring. Uh, he immediately signaled for the sub after taking the shot, which was a good shot too. Uh, immediately turned around, signaled for it, walked around just a little bit and signaled again. So uh, Hosechi was a hamstring, I'm almost certain. Alonzo, I couldn't really tell. It was, uh, as he was tracking back, him and Adoya Chim collided. DC kind of wanted a penalty, but they didn't really argue it. I don't know if it's like, something twisted or something got stepped on i couldn't tell and we didn't have replay so i don't know that one is a little harder to tell uh but hosetsu i'm guessing is a hamstring which we kind of know can be anywhere from like two to six it just depends on the severity 
Uh, Jason X is saying bang the outside of the knee. Replays look like a knee. It It's how much it twisted and what twisted would be the question if it's not a contact injury. And that you might not know straight away. So they wouldn't have known that night. And it's just going to be down to when they know and if there's media availability and what that looks like. Because I couldn't tell. It looked like he was in a lot of pain. And Ozzy's not somebody who's going to show pain if they can help it. And he looked like he was in a lot of pain. And uh, Badgerman about specifically about Luis Arruju and the yeah, nothing there. The, just no, what, the notions that the fact that the that Atlanta United is getting results without Arruju is a good sign. Yeah, is when he comes back. Then if when everyone's healthy, they'll be in fifth gear and just ready to roll. Yeah, and it'll take time once you get him back, and then we'll have to see about these other ones. Look, you're going to get Emerson Hindman back pretty soon too. It sounds like he's getting close. Um, Losing Hosechu hurts. You got Ibarra back. You get Sosa back. If you lose Alonso for a period of time. So, I mean, this is why you have depth. Now your depth isn't going to be what it was. Um, yeah, it's a little tricky. Uh, don't be surprised if you have to with Charlotte. With, um, with I mean, I, I think it's a safe assumption with what we know right now that Hosechu is not going to be able to play. And with Alonso in as much pain as he was, okay, you scratch him. You've got Sosa, you've got Ibarra, you've got the opportunity to play Almada or Moreno as a 10. Um, don't be surprised if you see Robbie Mertz on a short term, short, short term for that one. Don't be shocked if you don't see Robbie Mertz on the bench. Uh, I would have not have a problem with that at all. Not to start, but be available. I would, if you have to then leave him out of the twos game on Saturday night, take him with you to Charlotte. Would not be surprised at all. He is actively earning it. Yeah, he is. 100% he is. Great win for the twos, by the way, uh, mm-hmm. in Hartford. Nicholas Firmino with two goals. Uh, we will hopefully be speaking to Nicholas Firmino later this week. Be on the lookout for that. But um, great win for them. It was a six-pointer for Atlanta United over the weekend. Very good stuff. I'll be I'll be happy if it's if it's Robbie. He's earned it. Yeah, he and uh, <clears throat> going in the second half in that game, he and Darwin were uh, – basically playing a game of what if we did this okay now let's let's what if we did this um and hartford there's there's a there's a there's a little bit of a segment in the second half where hartford just looks very tired of dealing with both of them it's very entertaining it was a good win it was a really good yeah. i was glad Firmino got goals because he's been playing a little bit deeper role and I, I wondered how they would handle not having Conway and where the attack would come from. Firmino stepping up to give you that. That's great. Well, it's, it's a different setup that we talked to Jack Collison a couple weeks ago about it, a couple weeks ago about it. Uh, Luke Brennan gets the start. Brennan's more of that straight line speed, get in behind, make those, make those runs in behind. And against a team like when you're playing on the road to Hartford and Hartford's going to play a bit of higher up the field when they're at home. Yeah. I mean, that it, it fits that opportunity to be able to get in behind. And when you don't have that big body like Jackson Conway, who to your point from earlier, like you mentioned it earlier, the work Jackson's been putting in, he talked about needing to put in work and he's been doing it. Um, the first three games this season were pretty thankless for him. He did a lot of work that doesn't show up on the sheet and it's a lot of dirty work, but without another guy like that, they had them. They had to do a little bit differently, and they did. And they they weathered some storms. Um, Noah Cobb has an unfortunate own goal, and they weather it and show mental toughness that has been building for them. Yep, hundred percent. A couple more quickly. 
Uh, Jason X asked about if Heinemann's back in full training yet. I don't know if it's full training. I, I, I don't know. He's been training. I've, I've heard that much at least. I don't know if he's training every day. I don't know if it's every activity, but um, it sounds like he's getting really close and you're getting around that nine month mark or so. Um, so, you know, he's close. I don't know how close he is to starting. I would assume a little further away, but how close is he to maybe playing for the twos, maybe coming off the bench? He's, he's close. I just don't know how close. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know if I'd say it's full training yet, because when I, when I'd say somebody's full training, they are training every day, every activity. And I don't know if he's there yet because I mean, Abby, you point out like he needs endurance. He's, he's probably got some other things he's doing as well. He might be building up fitness a little more than every activity right now because he's got to kind of be on on two fronts. So he might not be full, full training, but he is training. Uh, Jason also asked about the Portland Anthem singer. I, I'd love when we get all these sidetrack things with, you know, and, and I'm not I'm not mad at you, Nick. So don't, don't misunderstand. Um, I hate when we have all these other stuff. And this is Portland's handled all of this badly. And it's a distraction. You know, I'd much rather talk about that game. And we will tomorrow with, with Dylan Butler. I'd much rather talk about decisions in the game. Good play, bad play. I hate that we have all this other stuff around the game, but it, it's just it's there. Portland with the anthem singer. Uh, if you didn't see, there were pictures that's made its way around the the social media channels. Um, I don't think they showed it on the broadcast. Uh, the anthem singer, who's a regular anthem singer for them, I don't know if she does every anthem, but she is a regular for them. Had uh, the you new shirt on that they've had banners up uh, on the road and at home. She wore that uh, reportedly, and this is from another Twitter account. And as we always say, you need to know who's saying what and how official it is and what they know. But from another Twitter account, it was said that Timbers officials or the Timbers, I don't know who that was, uh, tried to get her to not wear that, obviously. She wore it. She tweeted and said that it's probably going to be her last anthem uh, because of her decision to wear the shirt. She knew that going in. Okay, all of that's there. The situation with Portland is very multifaceted. And it is very hard to drill down to a soundbite. The Paul Riley portion is one thing with the thorns. And what was known and what was done and what was handled at that time is a different conversation than the Andy Polo situation. The Riley one from the Portland perspective is harder to read in what Portland did wrong in my book without knowing all the facts. And we don't know all the facts on either one to be 100% clear. I'm not going to just jump out and say something because it's going to score points on the bird app or because it's what some people say you should do. I don't know all the facts. The Riley one is harder to read because they did not bring him back. And they said they didn't bring him back because of these situations, but they didn't say that at the time. I don't know if they knew enough to say, yes, we should say this, knowing it's going to affect his reputation. Did they have all that information? Did they tell the league why they didn't bring him back? Did Western New York Flash ask? And they said, oh, no, he's fine. Then I got a problem with Portland. Did, Port did Western New York ask? Did they ask the league? Was there a reporting mechanism? There were a lot of changes to the way things were reported with the NWSL after 
the Paul Riley one and many other situations happened. Um, I, I need to know more before I yell at them about that. The Andy Polo one, look, you can definitely cast doubt on all of the aspects of it and what Portland did and what they didn't do right. Um, did they offer a financial inducement? Did they offer, did they threaten um, I, the, the spouse, I believe is the correct term. I think they are married if, I'm, if I got it right. Did they threaten her to say, don't file charges, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, again, we need to know. They knew something was wrong. They knew that this incident had happened and they triggered the option on Andy Polo's contract. And then when the heat got turned up on it, then they dropped it. There's no way to justify that. So we can we can go around and around about you knew and this and that and what you knew and when you knew it and how you handled it. We can go around and around about that. And we know in these situations that a lot of times there are shades of gray and there are complications with it and what you can do publicly and what you can't do publicly with legal situations. It's a lot more complicated than a T-shirt or a banner or a soundbite. But there is no justification for knowing that something happened with Andy Polo and with his wife and then triggering the option on his contract. And then because you knew what happened and you knew what created the heat when it happened, then to drop him. Like you should have never triggered the option. If you were going to drop him, if people found out, why'd you trigger the option? There's no way to justify that. None. The other stuff, look, we can we can ask questions and, and there can be more information needed and we might not ever get that information. And I get if you're frustrated, angry, whatever, I'll I'll put my hands up and say, I don't know everything about all that. And I don't think it's all public. But the polo one, you can't trigger the option on that guy. I'm sorry, you can't. Especially if you're going to cut bait immediately when there is a question about it. You can't do it. You can't do it. The fines and stuff, and and yeah, and Jason, again, like I, I, I hate that this stuff becomes part of it because I don't know enough to tell you. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a PR person. A lot of the fines with the polo one are related to the fact that the club did not disclose the incident to the league. They broke league rules. They were able to claim or whatever that they didn't know the league rules. It wasn't that they tried to circumvent them. They didn't know that they had to report that incident. Okay. The league obviously agreed with that to some level because the fine is a fine of whatever it is. I don't know what magic number makes the fine. Okay. I don't know if 50,000 makes it right. And 25 doesn't, I don't know if 50 would have been okay. Or, or if it needed to be 80, like, I don't know what number is the magic number to fix it, but they obviously didn't report it to the league. That's a problem. They re-upped with him when they didn't have to. It wasn't like he was on a long-term contract. They triggered the option after last season, after the incident in question. Just from a, I'm building my roster, and this guy we know did this, and this is what he is in this team. Yes, he's a good player. Is he a game changer, which shouldn't change the decision anyway, but it should make it a whole lot easier to say, yeah, we don't need that. It should make it a whole lot easier to make the decision. And they didn't. And they triggered the option and there's no way to justify it. And if they justified 
not knowing that they needed to report this incident where there was, correct me, John, because I think you you read some of this. He was not arrested that night. Mm -mm. He was not detained that night. He was questioned. Right. He was asked to leave the residence or she was, she left. I think she, she left because he was injured. Um, he was in a walking boot. It was after the injury with his knee, if I remember right, walking boot or crutches or whatever. Um, I think she left the residence, but either way, one of them left the residence. There wasn't an arrest. I'm guessing that was Portland's argument that they didn't feel like they had to report it because there wasn't a legal situation that came from it later on. And Fairly recently, there was a civil case filed. Yes. And the Timbers settled the, le- the the civil case, which is typical in these situations because they were charged in the civil case. Not charged. That's not the right terminology. They were a party in the suit. There you go. Thank you. They were a party in the suit. And when you are a party in the suit and you are a corporation or a company or a business or whatever, and you have insurance generally in these, if it is cheaper to settle rather than fight it, the insurance is going to say you're settling it. Yep. Um, and it was settled and whatever. A, a financial payment was made by the team to uh, Alcorcon, I believe, Genesis Alcorcon, if I remember the name correctly. Yep. Um, a settlement was paid to her. Again, th- we're, we're getting into a lot of stuff that is complicated and it's not my expertise and we don't know all of it and we're guessing and we're figuring. The Timbers have handled it badly all the way around. They have handled it badly from a PR perspective. They have ruined relationships with their fan base. They handled it even worse with after what they already knew in terms of handling things badly or at least having negative PR and negative stories, even if they feel like they handled the Riley situation well. Okay. You still knew all of that. And you triggered the option on Andy Polo. That's the part that, no, you just can't. You cannot trigger the option on his contract. You can walk away at that point. You can walk away and you still have questions about all the different things, but it's a different set of questions if things happen at that point. You triggered the option and then when it became public, then you dropped him. But nothing changed in what was known from when you triggered the option to when you dropped him. That's the problem. Uh, Jason Nix, no, Greg Berhalter did not lie. Oh, my God. Jason, man, I've had this conversation with you before. Check your sources and read everything. Um, frostbite, tendinitis, whatever, Matt Turner did not suffer an injury that is keeping him out from playing in the cold in St. Paul. That is not possible because it's the other foot. It's the other foot. Um, The foot was broken. He had issues like all these guys did, which is what we said, why that game shouldn't have ever been played there. hundred percent. Oh, Jesus guys. I want to talk about soccer. I love talking about soccer. I hate when we're playing the sourcing game and all this nonsense. Matt Turner came out and said, and he would know better than anybody what happened. He was running back and forth because his foot was bothering him. He had tendinitis. I have tendinitis when I get cold. I'm not a professional athlete either. Um, 
He had tendonitis. He was running back and forth. It aggravated the tendonitis. He didn't feel good for a few days afterwards. A lot of guys didn't feel good after playing in that game for a few days afterwards. He got hit in his other foot in a preseason game when he felt good, and that's why he's out. So the argument, did was it frostbite? Was it tendonitis? Was it whatever? I don't know if the team would have known that at that time when he left the team and went back to New England. It, it, it does, like, that doesn't matter. Bruce said frostbite. Turner said this. Blah, blah. None of them actually know because I don't think he was diagnosed with frostbite by anybody. Like, why are we doing this? Why are we getting worked up and arguing about this kind of stuff? Matt Turner said what happened. The injury had nothing to do with if it was frostbite, tendonitis, nothing. Because it's the other foot. I don't know, Jason. Ask the team doctor, man. Like, I'm sorry that I, I, I get frustrated with this. I, I, Yes, I'm getting worked up. I am. Because this is the second time we've talked about that game injuring Matt Turner. When you can ask if it's frostbite or not or whatever, it didn't have anything to do with the injury. It didn't have anything to do with the injury because it's the other foot. And people are leaving that out of this conversation. Whether it was frostbite, and I've never had frostbite, I don't know the process for it to be diagnosed. Again, that's not my expertise. Um, he said tendonitis. Arena said this. There are a lot of people are hearing things secondhand. I don't know what it was. But I can tell you that why he's out had nothing to do with that. If you get frostbite in that situation, it doesn't mean his foot fell off meant that he had a physical issue. And if that's what it was, then that's what it was. If it was tendonitis, as the player said, then it was tendonitis. But neither one have anything to do with the injury that he's dealing with now because he it, 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 it got hurt. He, got, he, he cleared a ball and he hit somebody at the bottom of their foot and he fractured a bone in his foot, which has nothing to do with it. So I, you know, like that, that's, that's why I'm frustrated. And sorry, Jason, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Again, like, it's been a day already and we get into all this other stuff that you can't win by talking about it. You can't because if I am not jumping up and down about one thing, then people are going to say that I don't care about it or whatever. And people are going to take shots about it, whatever. I'm sure that some of the anonymous folks on Twitter are already having a field day because I got worked up about this. Have at it. I don't care. But this is not why we do a show about soccer. To play conspiracy theorist about, did Bruce Arena have it right? Did Greg Berhalter lie to us? Is Turner lying? Really? His foot got hurt, the other one, in a preseason game. So I don't know. And if he did have frostbite, it went away in a couple of days because he played, which I think is how it goes. I don't think anybody missed games because of the situation. I don't think they should have played the game in St. Paul either. I said that from day one. It was stupid. But it didn't cause this injury. So playing conspiracy theory about it, did somebody lie? Does it really matter? Is it important? No, I don't think it is. The Portland situation, look, like I said, 
there's a lot of things we don't know, but they still have not handled it well. And they made a big mistake in triggering the option on Andy Polo's contract. So I, I don't know. Yeah, this this doesn't feel like it, it's it's a, a productive conversation. I'm sorry. And Jason, I'm sorry that I got worked up about it. A lot of it is just because we don't know all the answers, but it's not. The Portland one is different. This one with Turner, we know that it didn't cause the injury that he has missed games from. We do know that. There's no way around that. So I don't know why it is an issue. A lot of it is because somebody blatantly lied on a anonymous USMNT Twitter account saying they had sources about something that is not true because it's the other foot. And everybody said it's the other foot when they've talked about the injury. So that one, look, I got nothing. Like, why are we even still dealing with it? It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't matter. So again, Jason Nix, sorry. But this stuff drives me crazy because we're, we're going off of what people are trying to make a conspiracy about when there's really not one. He broke his other foot. Be all right. It sucks. It's bad timing. I wish we had him because I think he's a better goalkeeper than Zach Steffen right now. But he'll be okay. And then we'll have to figure out if he plays at Arsenal or not. Um, it's not that – and to finish up real quick before I actually do have to go. Um, it's not that soccer-adjacent drama isn't fun. It's that it's not as important as a lot of people make it. And I'm not saying that you are. I'm saying that a lot of people. And I'm saying that people get judged by stances they take on things. And I, I hate that game. I, I'll, you want to judge me on if I know what I'm talking about on the soccer pitch? That's cool. And you can judge away. Have fun at it. I don't like being judged by the statement game of, a, of stuff that's not really my expertise. And a lot of it is hearsay. And a lot of it is back and forth. And a lot of it's gray, honestly. It's not black or white. It's gray. And that's not a fun place to be in. I just, I like talking about the games, the players, the things about the game that we love. We, I don't think we love the soccer adjacent drama. I hope not. There's far more exciting things to talk about. Um, that's, you know, that's, that's all I can tell you. So yeah, I get worked up about it because I feel like we waste time on it in this country too often. We, we don't get enough coverage of the game in general and, and what's great about the game and the sport. And like I said last week, I hate that we're going to have a lot of soccer adjacent drama around the world cup. I hate that for the players who this is probably the biggest sporting event of their life. For some of them, it's going to be the only time they're in a world cup and it's going to be clouded by all the soccer adjacent drama. I hate it. I hate that stuff. Um, sometimes we have to talk about it. This is one where I feel like we don't with Turner. I, I really feel like it is a non-story. And whether there was misspeaking or cloudy diagnoses or whatever, it doesn't matter because it didn't lead to his broken foot. That's all. That's all. If that makes sense, I, I hope that makes sense. Um, is there anything else that we need to talk about? Because we, we've, we're we not ducking anything, as you can tell. <laughs> is there anything else we need to talk about before we go? I'll give you two more before we go. <laughs> okay. Uh, Uncle No Pocket. Should we expect to see Dwyer more often, or did the red card push him below Conway on the depth chart? That's a good question. Um, I don't think the red card would have pushed him below Conway on the depth chart. He wasn't available for this one, so keep that in mind. Um, and that's why we saw Jackson. You do have Cisneros coming in as well. Um, I don't know what the depth chart is. Did it cloud it? 
maybe not any more than Conway's hat trick clouded it. I think it's just cloudy and you got to get Cisneros into the mix to see where it fits. Uh, it's good competition for that spot. And Jackson's put himself in a good spot to compete. Cisneros is going to walk in the door soon. I, I think um, it's judging from timelines and Dom's not going to walk away. So that's, that's good. I like that, but I don't, I don't think it's all in the red card because I don't think it was a bad decision. It was just reckless. I'm not as angry about the red card. You know what I mean? Like he didn't do something stupid, like punch somebody. He was very late in a challenge and it was high and it was a red card. So we'll see where that goes, but I think it's competition and I think it's cloudy in general. And uh, Ricky, uh, other desired international opponents for future AmFam Cups. Bring them all on. That's the short answer. Uh, here's, yeah. the last, here's the last one from Pilgrim. Okay. Serious question. Are okay. you, meaning you, sir. Okay. Uh, you, as we're diagrammed here. Yes. Are you, Jason, going to get the goal, goal, goal trademarked as yours for Atlanta soccer play-by-play? Good stuff. Goes well with Mike's Score! You know, like I, I I went round and round about it because um, I'd done plenty of play by play before I did the game last year on radio and people started asking about what my goal call would be. So I didn't really have one. Um, I just called it and just called the goal and, you know, got excited and then that was it. Um, but you kind of need one. Um, I don't think you necessarily have to have one, but it's something a lot of people look for. I had people say you should do like a Spanish language goal call. Um, I don't think anybody in English really does that. Like that is not a bilingual announcer. I would not have a problem with it, but again, getting back to how people react to stuff that you do, <laughs> um, I know there would be pushback from some people. And I actually don't know if it would be from native Spanish speakers. I think it would be from people trying to accuse me of appropriation, which is something you have to think about. Um, but you, you do things in commentary that are inspired by others. And that one's absolutely inspired from Spanish language. Uh, I, I, I always mix up who it is who who does something similar on Today NA. I believe it is Bracamontes. I might be wrong. He goes, he's really low and, and he goes goal, goal, goal. He goes like that. Mm -hmm. um, it, it His tone changes when he does it. I think where I've almost settled in is somewhere in between stream of consciousness and saying goal three times. I don't think he has a set number. He does it. I I started doing it three times. Three is a magic number, right? That's what we yes. learned on uh on Schoolhouse Rock. That is true. Um, three's always been kind of my lucky number. So uh, three was very intentional. Saying goal like that was intentional. But it's actually kind of evolved to where it's not just like stopping and saying it differently than how I react to the initial goal. It, it's just it happens. It, it's part of calling it. And that's how it kind of went that time. Um, I'm good with it. I, 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 it works. It, it's, I guess, something resembling a uh, trademark. Um, I'll take it. You know, I, I've kind of settled on it. I, I went like I did it. I think the first time I did it was on the game last year, and then I've done it on games uh, almost on every goal I've done in games since uh, college or high school or, or whatever. 
And at first I was kind of weird about it because I, I think it felt I, I was, again, worried about being accused of cultural appropriation. I, I literally was worried about that because of experiences I've had on the Bird app and others. Um, we do listen to what people say. Sometimes when we shouldn't, but we do. Yeah, it affects you. It absolutely does. And I was worried about doing it and how people would react. Um, but I thought about it and I talked to people about it. And I said, you know what? If that's my thing and that's what I do when I do play-by-play, -play, that's what I'm going to do. So it worked and that was a good goal to do it on because I got to just yell and be a lunatic. And it also bought me some time while I was trying to figure out who scored the yes. freaking goal. Yes. So it gave me a little more time. Um, you know, we all have our different things. I think that's what I'll stick with for a while. I'm sure it will evolve in how it's delivered as I do more games on play by play, but I'm glad I have not been yelled at for doing it yet. So I will take that. Um, maybe I'm a little too sensitive. Maybe I'm a little too worried about that stuff. But uh, welcome to the ABCs of me. That's all I got. Uncle says his, uh, his goal calls usually allowed. Hell yeah. Followed by a string of happy expletives. I don't think I could do that on the radio. So, yeah, I would have a problem with that one. Um, I, I, well, for I, me, it was more of a what? Because none, none of it makes sense. I mean, yeah. e even, uh, you even think you uh, could hear that in my call. I, I was well, like, yeah, what? Even, uh, the, I forget who it was for DCU at the call of just that's a Dave, foul. And oh, I think we, he we thought a there was a, he heard a whistle. He heard a whistle. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, it was confusing. It was confusing for everybody. Our crowd, Mike, was on the whole other end of the field. He was a lot closer <laughs> than we were. So he might have heard it. Your crowd, that's the thing, man. The crowd, Mike, was weird. I couldn't tell what was happening because of the crowd, Mike. Yeah, I mean, the crowd mic was pretty good. Like, it definitely gave us a feel of what was going on, but it was far removed away. And everybody was just kind of confused. Like, I mean, Bill Hamid's reaction wasn't normal. The defenders around it weren't normal. Like, then everybody runs away for Atlanta. I couldn't tell who scored it. So it was very hard for us in our location and what we were hearing to have any clue what happened. So, you know, <laughs> that was where we were. Um last couple of things. I see a couple of questions and then I'm out the door. Uh, when are we doing another trivia night? Abby asks, give me some time to figure out logistics and, and we'll try to do one. I've had a couple of people ask, uh, we'll try to get one in sometime in the next month or so. Uh, actually I, we'll, we'll try to get one in before the end of the June international break. Let me put it that way. Um, let's do that. Second. Um, when are we doing another SDH gathering? Well, it's not going to be the same, but it, we are going to do uh, a big event on Thursday, and we are going to have to let you know tomorrow how you can claim a spot. And if you claim a spot, then you are obligated and demanded to be there. And if you're not, then we'll be very upset with you, and we will give you red cards. Um, Thursday at Elsewhere Brewing is a big show that we are working on with the Argentine Consulate and Elsewhere Brewing, and Atlanta United. And we are hopeful that we will have further announcements very, very soon about attendees. Um, but it will be a big, big show, and you can watch on Twitch if you can't be there, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we'll keep you posted on that. But stay tuned. And if you can come on Thursday, it probably wouldn't be a bad idea to let me know as soon as you can. And we will close out the number of attendees uh, at some point tomorrow i am assuming so uh let me know if you can come uh i'm not telling you where i am ricky i'm, I'm in an undisclosed location undisclosed and, location 
look, you might you might see me touring around doing shows for a while. Uh, you never know what'll happen with me. I try to keep you, I try to keep you honest. I keep oh. you, keep you guessing. Um, all kinds of stuff. So uh, that's what I know. We'll get a trivia thing in soon. We have the event on Thursday. Maybe during that international break, we can have a and hopefully. Uh, I don't think. I, yeah. I do. Knock on wood that uh, variants don't get going again, and maybe we can have an international break uh, summer SDH gathering. I am wanting to do one at uh, Sabores del Plata in Norcross. So it'd be on the other side of town. So it'd be good for some people. And uh, it is Argentine and Uruguayan cuisine, and it is wonderful. And uh, there is great food. I know Monteflo will be happy about this. Uh, we will be in Portland, Uncle. We will have a small SDH gathering in Portland. <laughs> but uh, yes, uh, that is where I want to do. Because for those of you who have heard me talk about Argentine food and parishadas and all that kind of stuff, um, it would be fun. So that is what I would like to do during that. It'd be a little more informal than the last gathering we did around the holidays. So stay tuned. But keep your fingers crossed about uh, the Rona and all the stuff and all of it. And yeah, maybe um, I'm not playing pickup soccer. Sorry, I am uh, retired due to concussion issues. Uh, but maybe we can arrange a SDH pickup day. Or you guys can arrange an SDH pickup day. You don't need me to do that because I, I can't play. Y'all can do that. I Jared, can take part in that. Jarrett can organize that. Yell at Jarrett about an SDH pickup game. Man, I just want to take part. I just want to embarrass myself. Okay, well, you might have to plan it on everybody's path. Yeah, uh, well. Yeah, no, no, Kevin, I have the concussion issue. <laughs> no, no, the pickup game should not lead to concussions, but no, no. I am not tempting fate when I might Jason's already had concussions. Yes. yes. I mean, I have too, but I don't have the post-concussion symptoms that Jason I has. have had, yes, and I still do to a much lesser extent than I used to, but... If you ever wondered why I wear hats all the time, uh, light sensitivity is a thing for me. It is a a real thing for me. Um, it's gotten a lot better, but it's it's not fun. Um, fluorescent lights really drive me nuts, and I have problems with those. And I usually get bad headaches and get kind of sick. So yeah, that never happened before my concussion. Welcome to life, you know. Again, the ABCs of me. That'll do it for us. Uh, soccer over there will return tonight, 7.05. I might be in the same location. I might be in a different location. I, I might just blur my background just to mess with you. How about that? We'll see what happens. Keep you on your toes. You know, anything can happen on soccer over there. That's actually an accurate statement. Yeah. Uh, but we'll get into all that 7.05 tonight. That's Hopefully pretty much what happens every time. That is absolutely what happens. And we'll be back in the morning, hopefully at normal time hopefully and we'll figure it all out but uh thanks for hanging out with us thanks for joining us a little bit later than usual y'all have a good rest of the day mucha plata y'all mucha plata y'all mucha plata y'all